Instead of syncing your phone with iTunes, downloading an MP3 into your mobile device, you can stream episodes of MTR with the Stitcher Smart Radio app. Stitcher allows you to listen to My Take Radio via your 4G, 3G, or Wi-Fi connections. Downloading it is quick and easy. Head over to stitcher.com forward slash my take, and you'll even be eligible to win some money. Enter my take, all one word, in the promo box, and you'll be eligible to win $100, courtesy of My Take Radio and Stitcher. MTR Live starts right now. You think your world is safe. It is an illusion. Lie told to protect you. Enjoy these final moments of peace. For I have returned to have my vengeance. This coverage is live and uncensored, so if you have any small children present, you may want to have them leave the room. What's up, guys? My Take Radio episode 168 for Thursday, January 10th, 2013. Our call in number is 347 324 3541. Again, our call in number 347 324 3541. You can also hit up our feedback line 347 815 0687. That's 347 815 MTR. All right. Second show of the new year. We are. You know, running on all cylinders this week, no sinus issues, wired to the gills on caffeine, so we're looking to have a good show. First thing I want to get into, of course, there's a lot of new content on MyTakeRadio.com. Please make sure to check that out. Also, got to let everybody know and got to continue to remind a lot of people that there are a couple of ways you can listen to live shows. Number one, of course, you could use our call-in number, not hit option one, and you'll be able to listen to the show that way. The other option is by going to our Facebook fan page and clicking the Mixler tab, and you can listen to the show that way as well. Otherwise, you can listen to archive versions of the show via Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, iTunes, uh, BlackBerry Podcast, which I think sometimes work, um, Zune, which I think they discontinued, and of course, like I said, you can also listen via the MTR app, which you can pick up for your iOS or Android devices. Like it's a dollar ninety nine. I say it every week. You could pick that up, get ninety six k episodes of MTR, and also get wallpapers and other exclusive content as well. A couple of things I gotta talk about this week. Not so much from from a monologue standpoint, but just in terms of things that have been going on behind the scenes. Uh, we are working on possibly 
possibly switching away from blog talk radio. This is something that has been discussed the last couple of days. I've been giving some serious thought to it. There's a couple of other services that are on the radar that sound pretty good. Um, definitely not switching to talk shoe, which is another one. And of course the, um, a lot of people are telling me to switch to Spreaker, but it's something I've been giving some thought to. I mean, we have a great audience with blog talk radio. So one of the reasons is just ease of use in terms of being able to play the show through multiple outlets. I was contemplating also streaming the show via Justin TV, Ustream, and uh, things of that nature, not with video, but with audio for the time being. But we're still going to flesh out those details in the coming weeks. Um, like I said, the, the blog talk radio thing is is 50-50 right now, but it's something that I've been seriously giving some thought to. We also went, met with our web developer this week to make some changes behind the scenes. We're going to start adding um, a couple of new options to MyTakeRadio.com, including um, a, a player for when we do live streaming for some of the games that are being played and a couple of other things. Also on our Listen tab on MyTakeRadio.com, we're going to add, in addition to the Blog Talk Radio player, we're going to add a Stitcher player. We're also going to add a separate Mixler player there as well for those of you that are wandering around the site and want to listen to the show that way. Also, we're going to make some social enhancements. We're going to add our YouTube channel directly on the site for those of you that like to watch videos. We put a, a couple of things on YouTube, and we're going to be adding some more content in the coming weeks as well. I was going to try and do the show tonight via Google Hangout just to test that out as well and do it on air. But one of the things that seems to happen is that it was conflicting with the Mixler player. So it's a little bit of a of an issue at the moment, but it's something that's still probably in its infancy. And hopefully if I weed it out, we can use that as well and start hitting our Google Talk uh, followers with that. All right. Let's get into what we're discussing this week. Ben's going to join me for some MMA because we got some stuff coming up this weekend, including Strike Force's last event. So Ben's going to give me the assist on shedding some light on that and also some of the other things that went on in MMA this week. Of course, we're going to talk about Monday Night Raw. We got to talk about gaming and always, as as is the case when violent incidents happen, studies come out. I got a really great study to share with you guys about violence and video games and parents and I'm sure you guys are going to be loving you you guys are going to love everything about it. You're going to love every aspect of it because it's complete horseshit. Anyway, we got that. We got our entertainment news and um that's pretty much it. In terms of anything else that's been going on, we're supposed to be doing uh Mash Fest on the 21st and also visiting the uh blogger and podcaster meetup that's going to be happening the 21st here in New York City. Uh, we're also scheduled to interview uh, Katie Brinks from Nest. Nest is the company that does the Nest Smart Thermostat. We're going to be talking about that. That thermostat was designed by the same gentleman that designed the iPhone. So if you guys haven't seen it, the, the Nest Thermostat is one of those things that I covet so much and I want to get my hands on. I just don't want to shell out the 250 bucks for it, but it's definitely a, a sign of the future in terms of the, our connected world and all the stuff we get to control. Obviously, this thermostat, like I said, it's a smart thermostat, and you'll be able to monitor it with your mobile devices. And a couple of guys that I know that picked it up have just said that it is a tremendous piece of technology. So Katie Brinks from Nest will be joining me probably the 18th to record an MTR Beyond the Mic. We're also going to be recording a couple of other 
um, exclusive interviews for the app in the coming weeks as well. Also, we're going to step it up and do some comic book, uh, some comic book reviews, which I've been really trying to get out, but it's just, there's so many books that get sent in PDF and stuff, but I actually have a review ready for amazing Spider-Man 700. So you guys are going to get my thoughts on that probably later on this evening or this weekend. All right. With that said, there's really nothing on the on the monologue side that needs to get beat up this week. So let's get the ball rolling with some MMA. All right. Well, of course, this past... This past weekend, we had the Invicta card, which was tremendous from start to finish. The only thing that hampered it were a lot of issues with iPay-Per-View, which, of course, led to a lot of unhappy customers and a lot of people seeking the pay-per-view via other means. But overall, the event was successful, so I'm going to discuss that with Ben. We also got this weekend the last Strike Force event, which, again, as an MMA fan, it, it, it's sad to see Strike Force leave, but given what's been going on with the organization and the direction it was going, I really kind of am glad to see it go. I will say this though, if you do not have Showtime, Showtime will be offering a free preview weekend starting January 11th all the way through the 13th. So you'll be able to watch the strike force card if you do not have Showtime. So one of the, one of the pluses in regards to that. But with that said, let me bring Ben on so we can take care of some of this other stuff. And talk some MMA. Ben, what's going on, dude? What's up, man? Welcome back. There seems to be a lot more a lot more MMA that, that requires uh your wisdom on uh, on the last couple of episodes. Uh, I guess so. <laughs> Not a bad thing. Well, the Invicta card, of course, I figured we we'll start with that, was a, a great card from start to finish, just just hampered by poor management on the pay-per-view side, did you get to watch the card or did you catch the replay? I had to catch the replay because uh, I had originally planned it because Victor normally like reshows all the stuff. So I had found a stream of it that was showing just fine. But like the actual stream on, um, what was it? Uh, Ustream. Right. Wasn't working for me. I, I tried to pay my $8. It didn't show. So I found another stream, and then I went back once they said it was free, and they took the paywall down, and it still wasn't showing. So, yeah, yeah, it was, it was, it was sad because it was, it was their first foray into not streaming for free and generating some revenue, and UStream just wasn't not UStream, excuse me, iPayPerView wasn't ready for for the load of people that were ready to order that card. Yeah, I don't. Um, I don't, the the if if you couldn't handle like the three thousand or so people that were watching that at one time, then I don't know what the hell. Because um, it showed the number of people that were watching it, like on the side, it was like three thousand. Like if you couldn't handle that, like I don't know how many people they thought were gonna buy this pay per view, but that's 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 a fuck up on Ustream part. That's not that wasn't Invictus fault. So nope. No one like blames Invictus for the stream. Like it was it was definitely Ustream that. Fuck that shit up. Well, they also got a lot of um the beauty of it was that 
at least the company made right and got people their refund. So it's a step in the right direction. But I wanted to, as usual, pluck out a couple of fights. Um, Rose Namajunas, um, who, of course, everybody knows casually as Pat Barry's girlfriend, but she's an accomplished mixed martial artist herself, defeated Emily Kagan with a rear naked choke in the third round. She, she actually very, very solid technique on her part. You, you could tell that, that she definitely trains with Pat. I mean, not with jiu-jitsu, because Pat ain't jiu-jitsu, <laughs> but uh, as far as the striking, it was very, I've seen her fight before. Um, I, I've seen an amateur fight of hers before. I think this was a pro debut. Um, she looked really good. Uh, she surprised me with that jiu-jitsu. I, I wasn't expecting her to be able to... She chained together uh, a bunch of submissions, and it was also hilarious watching Pat Berry like, freak out whenever she did anything. If anyone hasn't seen that video of Pat Barry like losing his mind every time she did anything in the fight, yeah, Pat Barry very very proud, and it was funny because they, um, you know, I fo- I follow Pat on Instagram, and he put up somebody said, oh, you know, Pat, how does it feel? You know, your girlfriend won her first fight, and he goes, she's gonna break up with me because she can't see herself dating a guy with weak ass jujitsu. <laughs> <laughs> so it was, you know, it was, yeah, it was pretty Pat, cool. Pat ain't out there throwing up triangles. Hell no. I, w- I was shocked to see um, Hiroko Yamanaka use, uh, lose via decision. You know, she. a lot of people talk about how, how good she is. And, in, uh, you know, I saw her fight. Um, I believe she fought Cyborg last, if I remember correctly. Destroyed. Yeah, and, and we know how that went. But, but see, people still seem to speak highly of her. I don't, you know, it was weird. She didn't, it wasn't a terrible fight, but you could see that she just felt a little out of, out of her element. Um, it, it, it mostly comes out of this. Like, a lot of women don't get to fight a lot of other good women most of the time, so they build up these ridiculous records. Like, Mizumi Fuji. Mizumi Fuji was, like, 29 and 0. Like, there was a reason for that. She wasn't fighting anybody half the time. So, you know, I mean, not that she can't fight, but she's just nowhere near as good as people were saying she was, mostly because she wasn't, she wasn't getting tested. And now that she's fighting, you know, people that, are good. She she lost to Jermaine Deronami, I think, the last Victor Carter saw her on. Right. Jermaine Deronami, I think I saw her on. Right. And she lost this fight. I mean, she's an okay fighter, but she's not as good as people thought she was. Well, you know what was funny? The the Stephanie Frausto, uh, Casey Roddish fight, Stephanie Frausto, of course, sister of Zoila Frausto, and she, she got taken out, you know, via TKO. And it was that fight... Not to say that Stephanie Frosto isn't uh, a great athlete, but Casey Roddish wasn't playing. <laughs> nah, that that was that was kind of brutal. There was a couple fights on here that that chicks got knocked out or beat down brutally, um, but that that was one of them. Uh, the Frosto sisters haven't been winning fights lately <laughs> and losing badly. <laughs> I, I, what'd you think of the um, Alexis Davis Shayna Baszler fight? Because that had a a, a, a really <laughs> nice submission <laughs> ending. Yeah, that was a really, really good fight, and um, it, like you said, it had a really good submission ending. Um, I like both Alexis Davis and uh, Shayna Baszler, and I think both of them will be brought into the UFC at some point. Um, at some point, um, but they're, they're both really good fighters. They're, they're two of the best women at that weight class in the world, and it, it was fun to watch the two of them um, put on a really, really good fight. Carla, uh, Carla Sparza and Beck Hyatt was ridiculous from start to finish. 
and of course, you know, crowning Invicta's first strawweight champion. It was it was crazy, not because only the fight was good, but the last couple of days after the fight were very interesting, and we'll get into that. But, you know, let's just talk about the title fight real quick. I mean, I was very impressed with Beck Hyatt. She had a lot of a lot of fanfare coming in. People were saying, you know, she was really good. Carla Esparza, I got to commend her for taking the opponent on short notice, and she did work. Her wrestling was, was top-notch. I mean, she she looked really good in that fight um, from start to finish. Uh, she is a very good wrestler. She is going to take you down and beat you up, and uh, unless you can stop that, you're you're you end up looking like uh, Bay Hyatt did. Um, the Bay Hyatt was game, um, especially you know coming in on short notice like they both of them did. So it was a, it was a good good fight. Um, I can't complain um, about that fight. I mean, the card overall was extremely good. Um, Unfortunately, a lot of people didn't get to see it live, including myself, but um, it was a really good card. I got to talk a little bit about what happened shortly thereafter, of course. Um, Car- uh, Carla Esparza's friends with Felice Herrig, and mm-hmm. obviously post-fight, the ladies go out, they party, and picture- pictures get out there. You know, somebody's ass cheeks got motorboated. <laughs> you know, just some some <laughs> crazy stuff, and... And the reason I wanted to talk about that was because, of course, there's the, the you got to do the sensationalized uh, articles on a lot of MMA sites. It's just like, oh, my God, the women of of Invicta were partying and blah, blah, blah. They made it seem like it was some girls going wild shit going on. And honestly, it was just just a bunch of a bunch of chicks that that beat the shit out of each other having a good time. I mean, not to say that the, that that the guys don't do that, but there's there's a lot more animosity when the guys fight. I think there was only one woman's fight here that had like legit beef or I think the ladies got into a scrap at the interview. It, it just, because chicks don't really have to seem as if they're as, um, like dudes, a lot of stuff dudes does because it becomes just a big pissing contest right. between dudes. Like chicks is out there just to compete like dudes. And being a male, I know this firsthand. Like at times, it just becomes a pissing contest. Like you're just testing the other dude's man, and that's all it is. Like you're not like chicks don't have have that issue that they need to be testing each other's manhood. So they don't have a lot of times. It just doesn't seem like they are anywhere near as angry. <laughs> but I got, seem to be. <laughs> I do have to say that that when they that when they got legit beef, it is a sight to watch because you remember when when Ronda. And Misha Tate were getting ready to scrap. Their beef reached ridiculous levels all the way to the weigh-ins. Like it was like, yo, we gotta really get between these ladies because they're gonna beat the fuck out of each other. Yeah, most definitely. I mean, I mean, when when they are really mad at each other, I mean, they 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 really out here trying to fight. But I mean, if they're not, then it's a completely different thing altogether. So I don't know. I don't have any problem with the chicks after after fighting or whatever, going out. And, yeah, whatever I, it is, they did. I don't have any problem with that. That's yeah, I, if anyone really does. <laughs> but that's what I'm saying. Like I was, I was pumped to see that. You know, just because not only because it was good to see just the wind down, but just camaraderie. You know what I mean? Especially because it's a it's a promotion that's really trying to get up and running and and get itself noticed. But you're downplaying the athletic accomplishments because you want to try and 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 make it some some girls going wild shit, which is. Absurd. Yeah, I don't. 
I don't know. People hold the females to this weird standard for no reason. It's 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 weird to me. I I just don't get it. Well, while we are on the subject of the ladies, um, MMA Junkie did confirm that Ronda and Liz Carmouche are getting a UFC primetime special. So exactly what we said is happening. Um, the first episode will be airing February 8th, and then the final two episodes will be airing each week on Fuel TV. Doesn't surprise me at all. I, I, that's what they need to do. You need to, to sell this fight, you have two people that can sell a fight. You can have, like, you know, the gay community coming out to watch Liz Carmouche, or the gay and marine community come out to watch Liz Carmouche. She's the first openly gay fighter in the UFC. You have, um, uh, Ronda Rousey, Olympian, her her backstory. You know, tell her backstories. I don't, I don't, I don't see why you shouldn't do this. I mean, it works out perfectly. <laughs> no, I think I honestly think, and it's funny because I follow um, Lazy the Savage from from Middle Easy. He he does a lot of photography, and he has a close relationship with Ronda the Diaz brother. So he does he puts up a lot of photos from behind the scenes for, and they're sh- they're shooting UFC primetime now. So a lot of his photos are from behind the scenes, and and. Did, uh, both ladies, they they are getting ready to go to war. Like I see some of the the training photos, and yeah, some of it, yeah, it's for prime time and stuff. But he's getting also a lot of candid training photos, and there's there's some <laughs> there's some hard training going on. Yeah, I mean, it it the, the, both of them like I mean, people don't know Liz Carmouche as well as they know uh, Ronda Rousey, but she she is a legit fighter. Like she. She she is legit. She almost beat um, Marlos Coonan like early <laughs> in her career, like like I think three fights in, and almost beat Marlos Coonan. I mean, she's a real legit fighter. So people 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 will end up they they need to respect Liz Carmouche. Like they they'll understand why the UFC chose her. It wasn't just because. No, I I, I definitely agree, and I think that like I said, the build up for this is going to help people become more appreciative of, of of the women coming in to such a big stage and it's it's just funny to see that the title fight is is the first thing on there like not to say that it didn't deserve a main a, a main event slot because it did but it's just crazy it's like boom you're this is your face on this card there's there's a huge amount of pressure not only to to deliver on the, on the fight but just to deliver on the card yeah yeah, I mean, it, and it's going to be a good card. I mean, you got Ivan Menjabar, you're out of favor on that card. It's going to be a good card. But I don't know how well this uh, card is going to sell, per se. Right. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if it's not. I mean, I'd be surprised if it's, it, it's not going to do a million buys, it's, it's, of course. It'll probably do it in like 600,000, 700,000 buys. But um, I, I would be interested to see how this card would sell. Because it depends on how the UFC frames it. Like, if they frame it like Strikeforce did, where this is a featured women's fight, then people are just like, "Oh, this is a sideshow." But if you can, you can really like, really present this as this is something that the UFC is legit doing now. Like, we're not just, we're not just giving this a try. This is something that we're legit trying to do. I think it'll it'll do well. No, I agree a hundred percent. One thing I, I wanted to talk about. We got to talk about your your boy Hector Lombard. Dude, dude is not even taking a break, getting ready to take on Yushin Okami, UFC on Fuel TV 8 in, in, in Japan. Of course, you know, Okami's coming off that decision win on Belcher from last month, and Lombard um, knocked out Paul Harris at, at, in December. 
So he's not he's taking a short break and getting back in there. I mean, he didn't even get. I mean, in the who's my part of Harris fight, it wasn't like he got hit or anything. Nope. So I, it doesn't surprise me that he's not taking any real break. Um, it doesn't surprise me at all. Uh, I don't know how he's going to fare against Yushin, um, because Yushin is not a joke. So I don't know how he's particularly going to fare against Yushin, but uh, yeah, he's not taking a break. I don't see why he should. Well, the crazy thing about that too is that he did an interview recently. Very well done where he said it. He's like, people are expecting me to go in there and get this title shot super quick. And I got to, I got to take the fights one fight at a time. He goes, I'll get my shot. You know, not, you know, it's not going to happen in six months. He goes, but a year from now, if I keep putting on great performances, I want it to, I want there to be no mistake that people say, you know what? Lombard should get the next, the next title shot. And I respect that. You know, like a lot of guys, they come in and they're like, yeah, you know, my record, this and that. And I need a title shot, and he's he's pacing himself the way he should. Yeah, that's how you should. That's how you should go at it. Like you don't expect them to just give it to you. Like make it, like he said, make it where there's no question whatsoever that he is the only person deserving of this title shot. That's it. Like don't don't come in here expecting them to give it to you. Like keep beating people until they they have to give it to you. Well, the reason the reason I brought that up, and and it's good that you actually closed that closed out with that, is because of course Eddie Alvarez right now is in a is is in a huge huge situation with Bellator and the UFC to where the UFC allegedly offered him you know a pay per view cut and an immediate title shot when he comes in, which obviously is a little questionable. With with that with that said, do you feel that? That that deal, not so much the the pay per view money, because like you and I said when we spoke about it last time, it, 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 that's a no brainer. You got to hit him with a lot of money, but that immediate title shot is a little questionable. The reason they're doing that is to jump him into the pay per view instantaneously. Uh, the thing with Hector Lombard is Hector Lombard didn't get his instantaneous cut of pay per view. Uh, because he wasn't in the main event. Hector Lombard's whole thing is like, if he's the main event of the pay-per-view, at least he gets a pay-per-view percentage. The reason the UFC is doing this is to make it where Bellator cannot match this. Right. And Bellator can't. I know Bellator is like walking around saying they are going to. You can't match pay-per-view. That's impossible. Yeah, they can't. That's why (laughs) Eddie Alvarez made the comment like, um, it's like two people telling me they're going to take me out to dinner. One is taking me to McDonald's. The other is taking me to get lobster. Like Bella, uh, what Beyond Revenue said is they took the UFC contract, changed the, the, the thing from UFC to Bellator, and sent it back. Yeah, that's not going to work because y'all don't have pay-per-views. Yep. Like that's, that's how the UFC get, get got Hector Lombard. That's how they're going to get Eddie Alvarez. They don't have pay-per-views. So even if they plan on doing a pay-per-view, they're not going to charge $60 for that pay-per-view. I'm not buying a $60 Bellator pay-per-view. Like, and I don't know who, who would. So Bellator, Bellator in this situation should stop because it's making them look bad that they're more or less trying to freeze out a fighter from getting paid um, for no other reason other than they can have a matching period. But he doesn't want to fight there. It's obvious he doesn't want to fight there. Um, and Bellator's tactic of freezing someone out of fighting like they do with like lesser fighters, like they try to do with Johnson Brookings, like they're doing now with Tyson Nam, uh, what they try to do with Dave Herman. Like they froze these dudes out because they don't have money. Eddie Alvarez ain't broke. 
Eve's going to fight you in court. His manager's going to fight you in court, and you're going to lose. And Bellator needs to calm down with this because it's making them look bad. Well, what I thought when Bellator was talking about it too was that Bellator may have done, and I and like I said, TNA did this before, where Spike TV put in money to get Sting, where Spike TV's like, yeah, well, you know, we'll we'll, we'll help you out with that, because obviously coming into Sp- uh, coming into Spike TV, short of guys that are pretty much staples of your organization, is going to make things questionable. See. They, they can't. They are going to do that. Um, I, I, you know they're going to. They're, they're Spike is helping them because that's the only way they can even co- come close to matching it. The problem with that still is the UFC still has. We have pay per view buys. Like they can't do a Bellator pay per view, or even if they do a Bellator pay per view, there's no way it'll equal what the UFC can give Eddie Alvarez. Nope, I agree. Like with the instantaneous title shot, which I don't particularly agree with but i understand why they're doing it but like you you can't there's no way they can be like hey we matched it in uh uh word for word no you didn't because you're not giving as much money to him if you're doing a 30 dollar pay-per-view and the ufc is doing a 60 dollar pay-per-view and more people are going to buy the ufc one anyway so once it goes to court that's what the judge is going to say no judges that stupid judges tend to be smart people like, like they're not going to be <laughs> They're, they're going to see that and be like, dude, this doesn't make any sense. Like, you guys, let this dude go fight. No, I think I think the Eddie Alvarez situation is going to end ugly, but he's going to end up in the UFC. It's going to well, be... It, for better, <laughs> well, no, I'm just saying it's going to be ugly just for him because the amount of time that he could spend preparing for a fight is going to be spent in litigation, you know? Because you know the that, UFC, that, that's the goal. right? The UFC would have cut him a contract and been like, "Dude, you're fighting, you're fighting um, El Nino when he comes in. Winner of that fight gets a title shot. Boom, you know." And that would have that would have been, I, I guarantee you, that would have been booked within ninety days. Oh, most definitely. Like, <laughs> as as he would have been. They already, we, we already would have known what fight he was having. Yep, the ink he, wouldn't he even be dry. Goal. When he was fighting and who and where yep. already. <laughs> it's going to be crazy, man. I, I, like I said, Bellator, I, I like the organization. I like what they're doing and, you know, what they're doing in terms of just building up their company. But this crazy matching scenario that they're trying to do is, is doing them more harm than good. More or less. I mean, the matching period is there for a reason. Right. But... It also has a flaw because the, the numbers aren't, aren't even. Like you can match that too, but even let's say you match my deal. If I don't want to fight for you, it shouldn't matter that you match my deal, right? Like it, it shouldn't matter. I still should have that choice. Like okay, that's nice. I still want to go fight here, right? But like in 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 MMA because there's no union. More or less, if Bellator had actually really match his deal, which they didn't, he would have to go fight in Bellator. And this is the problem that Bellator is going to come to. It's like young fighters are going to look at that and be like, so if I get really good in Bellator, I win all my fights, and then my contract comes up, is Bellator going to try to fuck me over like they're doing at the Alvarez? Right. And you, you're going to get a lot of young fighters that are not trying to go to Bellator because, first of all, the tournament system is stupid anyway. And second of all, like, once you're you're done with your contract, you're stuck. Like, they're going to try to fuck you over and not let you leave, and that's a problem. 
Well, in Bellator's case, if they were smart, they'd borrow what they do in wrestling. When a, when a superstar leaves WWE and they don't renew their contract, they have, you know, a 90-day no-compete. What they should do is use that 90-day no-compete, bundle that in with the matching period, and the, if the fighter refuses, then in 90 days when the, the, the non-compete is up, you go to the UFC and we're done. That way, people know what they get when they're coming in. They have the opportunity to match. If the fighter refuses, they go, all right, and, you know, you, as per your non-compete, you know, once it's up, you can go to the other organization. Basically, I mean, that is exactly what they should do, and I don't understand why they don't do something like that. I mean, because there is a no-compete because there is a 90-day magic period. Yep. But instead of doing what the WWE does, where even if you you don't want to come back to WWE or TNA, it's not like in that 90-day matching period where you can't go do anything. Right. They're going to be like, oh, you still have to come back to us at the end of this, even if we match the deal. Nope. They go like with them. Yeah, like with this, it's like you have to come back. Yeah, which is still word for word. No, no, no. That's, that's that. That is that. That's a foolish way of doing business. If 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 they did it that way, they'd say, "Listen, you can't compete for ninety days with any promotion." Or or even in TNA does it a little differently, where you they let those guys compete on the indies, you know, because it was non televised or whatever, and, yeah. and and but otherwise they'd have to sit out. Like, if you want to do something with those guys, hey, you know, we're not going to stifle you from fighting, but you can't sign with with the bit with the with a big organization. At least do something where where it shows more good faith. Yeah, because I mean, Eddie Alvarez has done a lot for Bellator, so for them to do this to him, it's really fucked up. Like Eddie Alvarez was their first first champion, I believe, overall, uh, their first lightweight champion. He's done a lot for them, and for them to more or less like. Oh yeah, we're not gonna let you fight anywhere because we just want to be assholes. Like it's just fucked up. No, you're you're a hundred percent right. Speaking speaking of Bellator, they started putting together Bellator '86, which goes down January twenty fourth, and um, Ben Askren is fighting Carl Amasu for the welterweight belt. Uh, King Mo's gonna be on that card for uh, the opening round of the light heavyweight tournament. Ben Saunders will be on that card. Your boy Douglas Lima. Uh, Brent Weedman, Maria Zaramskis, that's going to be for the welterweight tournament opening round, and um, Raul Amaya and Jose Gomes. So, of course, you're not you're not gonna you're not gonna push this card because Ben Askren is defending this belt. You're gonna push this card because it's King Mo's debut in the organization. I didn't even know Ben Askren was defending his belt. <laughs> <laughs> like all I keep seeing is King Mo. There you who, go. Who uh, is going to be wasted away in Bellator? King Mo could probably beat every single lightweight in Bellator in one night. Like <laughs> these dudes have no business getting in the cage with King Mo. Yeah, but you know what's gonna happen? He he's gonna game him though because he's gonna get to fight in MMA. I'm hearing now that he has a boxing clause in his contract, and most importantly, he'll get the TNA money without hurting his body. Because I'm telling you right now, if if you if you break down his contract. I bet you TNA's footing the bigger part of his contract than Bellator is. Yeah, probably because the way Bellator is shaped, he can't. He's not going to be making a whole lot of money initially anyway. Like right. The, the way Bellator's contracts are set up because it's like, oh, you had to win our tournament to get $100,000. When, like, Eddie Alvarez was coming to the UFC making, what was it, 75000 to show seventy five thousand to win, plus 
uh, sponsors got knocked out of the night or any of the other shit or and, and pay per view cuts. <laughs> yeah, so, so it's well the reason people trying to leave Bellator. <laughs> well, the way I see it too is that with with Bellator with King Mo fighting, depending on what he's filmed with TNA, you know TNA is going to make sure to promote it as TNA superstar King Mo fights live on Bellator next. So it's going to be a uh, honestly it's savvy it's savvy marketing on their part because what TNA is going to end up doing is they're going to be the guys that will just be the they're going to push that lead in for Bellator in such a way that the wrestling audience they're going to try and make them stick around to 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 have them become MMA fans. Basically. And King and King Mo honestly with with his showmanship and the way he presents himself, he's a good guy to bridge that gap. Yeah, basically, I mean, he the way he he's perfect. He's a perfect fighter to be in both worlds. Um, hopefully, this works out great for everybody, and everybody you know makes some money off this, especially King Mo. Uh, I just wish he wouldn't have called that. Uh, director or whoever you call the stupid bitch or yeah <laughs> called her a racist stupid bitch or whatever like i wish he was still in the ufc i would have loved for him to come up to the ufc but i mean he's in bellator now i get to see him beat up on hapless dudes and every now and again i might watch tna to see him do something well here's he's actually doing TNA. <laughs> well here's an interesting thing too rampage has his last fight in the ufc and rampage has been kind of from what the, from the what the rumors are saying he's been courted with a similar deal. Because think about it, you know, you court Rampage, you get him in there, you get that King Mo Rampage fight, which, you know, is going to be a nice little nice little bump on free TV. And supposedly him and King Mo are on good terms where Rampage can transition to wrestling as well. Uh, I could see Rampage doing that. I, I really could. Uh, oh, you know, that deal for him will be ridiculous. Yeah, the money they going to have to pay Rampage. <laughs> like, Rampage is not going to do this for cheap. Nope. Like, they're about to have to pay him something stupid. Yeah, that's uh, going to be I don't, TNA's paycheck with Spike. It's going to be a combination of Spike TV, TNA, Bellator, and a nice fat number. Yeah, because Bellator, <laughs> that's the problem with Bellator's tournament. Like, you can't pay free agents like huge amounts of money right? because your whole tournament structure is like, oh, you got to win the tournament to win $100,000 when uh, Rampage was making $100,000 to show up in yep. UFC. But that's just, how they're... Just to show up. That's how they'll flip it, though, because like I said, TNA and Spike TV will do the... will, will, will carry the bulk of the ball, and then what Rampage will end up doing is he'll do the wrestling because it'll... It, it, Depending on how well he adapts and how quickly he learns, he'll be able to keep his body safe and still fight. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully, I mean, I mean, look, it, it, hopefully everything works out, and you know, you get you know, rampage in a light heavyweight tournament to destroy these random light heavyweights they bring out, and then fight King Mo, who will at that time be the champion. And then they both go into uh, the TNA and be in a tag team or something like that. That that would be the fun thing to see. Um, although I can also see Rampage doing like the eighteen two or some other random thing and not fighting anymore. That could happen. Or deciding 
sign with UFC again. Like, it's Rampage. Like, Rampage doesn't make any sense. No, hell no. <laughs> Speaking of light heavyweights, of course, our two favorite guys, John Jones, Chael Sonnen, meet at UFC 159, April 27th at the Prudential Center in Jersey. I'm, uh, I am contemplating possibly selling my soul to go and see that in Jersey. We'll see. We'll see, you know, what what happens. But but damn, that's that's going to be a problem. <laughs> uh, the fact that I think that fight is going to be incredibly one-sided. Um, that should be that I would love to see that. Like, I, I would love to just see, I want to see John Jones fight in person one day. Um, like at some point I'm going to make it to one of these damn shows at some point. And I would love to see that one. Um, I'll tell I, you I'm this. Actually, I'm somewhat interested in this new season of the ultimate fighter. And I say somewhat. Dude, I'm, they're, they're saying, episodes. they're saying there's some animals in that season. Like they said, like a dude got stretchered out. No, but they, they said a dude got stretchered out, dude, from a knockout. We haven't seen that yet. So as soon as I hear stretcher job from a knockout, I'm like, damn, I'm, I am kind of want to see that. Yeah, I, 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 want to see, I want to see who this dude is that supposedly is scaring people in the house. Yeah. I, I want to see what this season is about. Um. I, I'm I'm looking forward to it. I'm gonna give it I'm gonna give it like three or four episodes and if I get another let me bang bro moment, I'm done. I'm done with those <laughs> fighters if I get another let me bang. I, I will I will say this. Doing the fight in Jersey with Jones from you know, from upstate New York, it's it's a nice way to kinda get that grab that New York crowd, which it's fu- it's funny also because you know that New York has zero zero MMA here in terms of anything other than Muay Thai fights and lots of schools. So I found it very strange. And I, I shared this on my Facebook that we're getting, we're getting a UFC gym here. The yeah. first one. So, you know, it's like the UFC is planting their flag in New York already. Like the, like the guy who, who opposed MMA legislation, he's on his way out. So at this point, it's just going to be a matter of how deep the UFC's pockets are and how many dues they got to pay off to make it happen. Because like I said, they're already planting their flag with this UFC gym, which is opening by my office, which is ridiculous. I saw they gave me the uh, the breakdown, and I figured you'd get a kick yeah. out of this. 40,000 square feet, tw- open 24 hours. They got a full-size octagon inside. They have the, a, a separate mat room. They have a separate, um, you know, uh, heavy bag room, speed bag room. It's It's insane. Dude, I, I, I mean, they, I live in South Carolina. We ain't got nothing like that. But uh, <laughs> I, I know that there's one in Charlotte that I've been to. Um, I think there's also an ATT affiliate or American Top Team affiliate in Charlotte that I've been to. Um, that that sounds like that, and those things are amazing inside. Um, plus, hey, I'm all chance you might see Frankie Edgar or somebody randomly walking in. Well, that's that's the other thing too. You know, Matt Sarah has his school out here. Couple of guys got their school out here. You got Henzo Gracie's Academy in in Brooklyn. So and and he also has an academy in the city. So it, it's it's going to be yeah, interesting. Also. Yeah, they're gonna they're, they're gonna make this a cash cow, and that's why it's, you know that this fight being the setup for it. And it's funny because the fight takes place the twenty seven, and the guy when he gave me the flyer, he said, "Yeah, we're gonna do um, we're gonna you, you'll be able to come and see the fight at the gym." With a, I'm like, what the fuck? And he's like, 
He's like, yeah, and then there's two levels of membership. You got your regular gym membership, and then you can play an enhanced membership that gives you access to all the MMA classes. It's wow. Yeah, dude, it's it's yeah, insane. Love for something like that to be near me. <laughs> yeah, man, that's crazy. It's like you go, you pay the membership for that, you get access to all all the all the bag rooms, all all the mat rooms, the the BJJ classes, the Muay Thai, whatever classes they put in there. And I and, and I'm sure they're gonna get you know some of the best instructors, and I'm sure we're gonna get a lot of pro fighter seminars. Oh man, that would be awesome. Yeah. Um, so it's convenient. Uh, that he fights the he fights April twenty seventh and the gym is is scheduled to open in the spring. That's all I'm saying. Hopefully, hopefully all this is is leading up to a mega show in Madison Square Garden. Like if they can do a if they can get a mega show in Madison Square Garden with John Jones on the card. I, mean, I don't even know who else would they put on the card, but John Jones. Just a John Jones and Frankie Edgar on a mega card in Madison Square Garden. That would be crazy. Yeah, you get John Jones, Frankie Edgar, and then you know what would be good. And they were and they were saying because supposedly Dana White has a target, you know, for the anniversary of, of, of the UFC and mixed martial arts to to do MSG. And it's like, dude, the tickets for that. I mean, it's wonderful and all, but when they do WrestleMania at the Garden, front rows like two grand. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, it, it'll probably be. <laughs> Like that, but like they don't, they don't. It won't be as many seats because um, the way the UFC does it. Um, because I, I was gonna go to the UFC in Charlotte when I came here. Whew, what was that? Um, maybe like two years ago when when Kenny Florian fought talking about Gomez. Like um, they don't do as many seats as like WrestleMania does. They um, they, they like close off like the top half of the place because so you can actually see things. So I mean, I doubt it would be two thousand dollars a seat. At the lower levels, but I mean, look, the first show with the Mecca, that's yeah, going to be expensive. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, the World MMA Awards, they're actually going to give them on TV, on Fuel TV, January 20th. Um, Ronda Rousey's up for four awards, um, including the Fighter of the Year. And she uh, she's up for Fighter of the Year against Cormier, Nate Diaz, Benson Henderson, and John Jones. She's also nominated for Female Fighter of the Year, Breakthrough Fighter of the Year. And submission of the year. Only one of those she should actually <laughs> win, but she'll probably end up winning all of those. Like, just she should only win female fighter of the year, but she'll probably end up winning all of those because the MMA community. I will tell you this: it's going to be fun to watch it just because Chael Sonnen's hosting it, and the, the the fact that the list of presenters and I figure you'd love this: Jerry Springer, Eric Roberts, Steven Seagal. Coco, Cisco, <laughs> Ricky Hatton, TJ Lavin, Freddie Roach, uh, Kenda Perez, Ross Miller, Misha Tate, Ronda Rousey, Frank Mir, Martin Campman, John Anik, Vanderlei, Uriah Faber, Stitch, and Joe Benavidez, Herb Dean, and Bruce Buffer are among you know some of the people that are rumored to be presenting also. Just where the fuck did they find Cisco? Oh, I think Ben Ben's connection dropped. There you go. You back? Dude, you realize I was gone. <laughs> you realize I was gone. No, I didn't even hear you, dude. I thought you were you were listening, oh, but no, like I was in mid sentence and that shit just dropped off. I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> I 
But now, what about Cisco? Cisco, <laughs> Cisco's presenting, dude. I don't know where they dug him up from, but Cisco's presenting. It says what, here. Why is Cisco? I don't know, why, dude. Why is Cisco presenting? And Cisco? Coco, and Coco. Coco. Yeah, Ice yeah. Ice T's wife. Ice T's wife. It looks like yeah. It says Coco and then Cisco. Why? <laughs> yeah, I'll just we'll just leave it at that. We'll just leave it at that. Well, like. Z-list celebrities, just get kind of still celebrities. Well, to close things out, uh, one guy who, who um, not that I'm shocked, but it's crazy that it came out, Husamar Paul Harris t- tested positive for elevated testosterone. Doesn't shock me at all, but <laughs> um, it's funny because he still got his ass knocked out. <laughs> yeah, I didn't mean funny. shit. <laughs> Joey Beltran tested uh, positive for nandrolone. These dudes, man. Yeah. Look, there's a lot of people in MMA that use steroids, but you can't be dumb enough to get caught. Like, just, dude, like, you know when you're fighting, cycle off if you're really going to use them. Like, don't be out here getting caught looking stupid, especially if you're going to just lose. Like, it, it, looking like Stephen Bonner in your last fight, juiced out of your mind and still getting your ass whooped. Like, come on, man. Well, the funny thing is that both guys, they didn't contest it. They agreed to serve the nine-month suspension retroactive to December 14th, after which they got to pass a drug test upon completion to before receiving clearance to compete again. And we saw, you know, the Ream, the Ream got licensed, so that fight's going down. Yeah, I mean, there was no way they weren't going to license him. I mean, at this point, after all that time, plus he, I think he passed a couple drug tests. Yeah, he passed uh, some randoms and he passed some some uh, some independent licensing also. Yeah, so I mean, you knew he was going to get his license back. Same thing with Nick Diaz, who um, I think goes in front of them or has gone in front of them. Uh, they ain't both going to get their license back. But I mean, if you don't even dispute it, you you knew you were going into that fight, you was going to get popped. Yep. Like for me, like the UFC should do random drug testing all the time but they're not going to because I doubt they want to catch people. But, um, yeah, I, I don't – it doesn't surprise me that Husamar Paul Harris was on some sort of road. It doesn't surprise me in the slightest. Yeah, I mean, it, it's a, it's some crazy shit. But the the thing was that – the thing that threw me off with regards to that, I'm like, I'm like, damn, dude, you got popped and you lost. That That's why I figured it, you, you, would, you would get a kick out of it. That, that was the, that's the funniest part to me. Like you, 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 uh, you lost. You got your ass whooped. You got beat down by Hector Lombard, and you juiced up. You need better. You need better rewards. If, if that's what that's what you're using them for, you need to, you need to invest in better ones. Yep. There you go. All right, man. So we're good. We covered everything. As always. Um... All right. You can follow Ben on Twitter at Blackout89. I know you're also doing a um, hip-hop podcast with uh, Steven. Yeah, Yeah, uh, doing a hip-hop podcast. Well, hip-hop, anime, sports, whatever random thing you can think of at the time to talk about. uh, Cut of Three Kings podcast is on YouTube. Uh, At some point, we're going to figure out some way to podcast it. Um, So, yeah, you guys uh, subscribe, and we're moderately funny. You should come on there and, and... and watch. There you go. All right, brother. As usual, thank you for coming through. I appreciate it. All right.
All right, man. Peace. All right, so you can follow Ben on Twitter at Blackout89. With that, let's jump right into wrestling because there's a couple of things we got to talk about with regards to that. And, of course, Raw this week, which had an epic, epic promo between The Rock and CM Punk. So let's get right into it. Let's jump right into Raw this week, which, as usual, three hour the three-hour length of Raw makes it always questionable to watch because you can pretty much tune in halfway through, and a lot of times you don't miss a damn thing because besides them recapping what happened 10 minutes ago every five minutes, it, the, the first hour sometimes just feels like the throwaway hour. And in this case, of course, obviously the return of The Rock was a big deal, but we all know that The Rock is going to show up at, you know, 10.56, and very rarely will he show up in the opener. But this week's opener was interesting because we got a, a nice little John Cena, Dolph Ziggler promo, which involved Biggie Langston grabbing the microphone and completely fumbling his fucking promo. I don't know what uh, what um, big-ass Carlton Banks was thinking. Thank you, Captain Quark and Blade, for that. Biggie Langston is uh, big-ass Carlton Banks. I mean, uh, well, the fu- the funny thing with that, and wow, that was a big fumble on my part. The the crazy part about that was that Biggie Langston taking the mic from Ziggler to set up the match was the most awkward thing I've ever fucking seen. He's like, "Give me this mic real quick," and it just seemed so stupid. I almost felt like he was gonna take the mic, get have Ziggler take the match, and then when Ziggler was walking down, put himself in the match or something, something. Something more eventful than him grabbing the mic and just fumbling. What the hell was going on? I don't, I don't understand why he did that or why they didn't prep him on cutting a promo. Not to say that his promo skills are shit because I've never heard him cut one. But if that's what we're going to look forward to, please just, just don't speak. Don't. Simple as that. Eve Torres and Caitlin was what I was hoping to be an eventful match, but it really wasn't. It was the typical Eve Torres stalling, running out of the ring, bullshit psychology that she does. Uh, Caitlyn got some decent offense in. Clearly, they're grooming her to take the belt, most likely at the pay-per-view. But but again, these Divas matches are with the same five women. And for like I've said, Eve Torres, for being so accomplished and for having such a an excellent submission um you know, an MMA and submission background with the Gracies doesn't use that at all. Doesn't integrate that into her move set. And on the contrary, when she gets in there, it just looks very clunky, very disjointed when she wrestles. So a lot of times I just fast forward through the fucking match because it's not even worth it. The non-title match with the Rhodes Scholars and Team Hell No is, it was pretty good. And I know where they're, where they're going. I, I, I almost sense that they're, getting ready to split up Brian and Kane 
and and give those guys their individual pushes and they're setting up the road scholars to get the belts which is fine i have no issue with that i honestly feel that while team hell no is entertaining super awesome and they know what the fuck they're doing i just think that it's starting to run its course because you can't find any more funny segments to do with them that don't feel rehashed from previous incidents like yeah you make them get along for a little bit and something silly happens and everybody laughs but it's starting to run its course i think that we're in a we're in a stage where a guy like daniel bryan needs to really get back into the main event card because the main event scene as a whole seems very dry you just got sheamus the big show face del rio and that's pretty much it on the SmackDown side. And more than likely, Brian will go back to SmackDown unless they fully intend on keeping him on Raw. Maybe have him challenge Hunk down the road for the belt. But honestly, I think the Team Hell No thing has ran its course. Randy Orton pretty much jobbed out the entire 3MB in his segment. Which, again, it's it's typical Blandy Orton bullshit. I just feel that you go to all this trouble to building up the 3MB and getting them out there and trying to get them in front of the fans to just job them out to a guy that, once again, Randy Orton doesn't need to do jobber matches. He doesn't need to do squash matches. I understand, you know, he need he needs to he needs to just get over. But at the expense of a of a trio of guys who all of them on their own have have plenty to offer the mid card is just ridiculous to me why are you going to sacrifice these guys after going through the trouble of putting them together to make randy orton look good in his feud with sheamus which i'll discuss in a few minutes i just think it was fucking pointless on the flip side throwing santino in there with wade barrett wade barrett another guy doesn't need to job out santino clearly you can see that they're starting to prepare uh the miz for Cesaro's match, which of course followed shortly after. So these two mid-card guys, Cesaro and Barrett, are just, they're there to kind of keep the middle the middle of, of a broadcast active. To put Wade Barrett in there with Santino was an insult. As Cesaro and Greg Kali was also a fucking travesty, the ending of that match was probably one of the most amazing things I've seen in the last couple of episodes of Raw. Just... And, you know, Antonio Cesaro continues to impress people and him delivering the gotch neutralizer on the great Kali was insane. Not to mention the, the the European uppercut spot he did was also very well done. Both guys, mid-card guys, flag bearers for, for the mid-card at the moment in some of the most pointless matches I've seen. Now, in Santino Morella's case, you know, Ricky the Dragon was out there. I kind of hope that Barrett starts nudging Ricky the Dragon Steamboat and maybe they'll call up Steamboat's son who's in, in the minors right now. Maybe you bring him up and that'll kind of help flesh that out. I really hope that's where they're going because honestly, Ricky the Dragon Steamboat being out there accomplished nothing. Sheamus also assisted in burying the 3MB and taking on Jinder Mahal. Like I said, Sheamus is another guy. You don't need squash matches to get him over. And when you, like I said, went through the trouble of building 3MB, it's pointless to just make them look like complete shit. It was, it was an embarrassment to see that. That's all I, that's all I got to say. It, it was an embarrassment to see that happen for, for, for the three of those guys. Because, yeah, I clown 3MB and I, and, I, and I shit on Heath Slater. And, you know, I shit on Jinder Mahal for being in a rock band while wearing a turban 
And, and there's a lot of jokes there. But the fact is that all three of those guys are, are pretty solid in the ring individually. So to go to such great lengths to put them together and then just make them look like shit, it's just poor form on the WWE's part. The TLC match with Ryback and CM Punk, if anybody thought that Ryback was going to get the belt, you are out of your fucking mind. I have to commend CM Punk for the table spot that he took, which was insane. And it was good because Punk not only landed in a heap, but Paul Heyman, he, he pretty much looked like he was going to have a stroke just off the off how that match went. And of course, it, it was pretty standard that the shield was going to be involved but the shield also had a good spot with the with the table on the steel steps so it was a good way to do it again not really acknowledging the relationship between punk and the shield but definitely keeping them front and center which which is fine it's all good big show kofi kingston was was a fucking embarrassment for for a guy who was a former IC champion, a, a guy that has tremendous potential to just be jobbed out to the big show. Embarrassing. Embarrassing. Now, let's talk about CM Punk's promo. CM Punk's promo was, without a doubt, amazing from start to finish. Not only because he really just went out there and, and did another pipe bomb promo, but because it was it, it was just ridiculous the way he manhandled The Rock promo wise not to say that the rock looked completely weak in his promos but the fact that it was cm punk just delivering another epic legendary promo that honestly makes me want to watch the royal rumble even more so it's something that's so that's so big right now that it supersedes anything else going on because it really was well executed cm punk masterful from start to finish and above all, he really, really looked like he was a natural. Not to say that he wasn't, but he just didn't have to go out there. And you can tell that in The Rock's case, he had to go and prepare for his promo. And he had to have a, a, somebody help him and shit. So that's the kind of thing that just that you can see. And it really was super apparent in, in the exchange between them. And it, And it's unfortunate because... In CM Punk's case, he doesn't need preparation. He doesn't need to do a fucking thing. He just comes out there and he and he handles his business, which, again, is, is what you want. You want a guy that comes out there, especially your champion, and it just, just delivers a promo where people are saying that it was... People were saying that that was kind of not a shoot, but that it was almost extended with regards to the length of the promo, like they went out there and they kind of like CM Punk carried it for a little bit because he had to fill time. I don't know how legitimate that is. Honestly, I think that from start to finish, it was, it was just insane. And, and again, CM Punk, a natural, a natural it's, I I'm so pumped to, to give up my money for, um, so pumped to give up my money, which is, which is crazy because not that I don't buy WWE pay-per-views, but it's just um it's not what I it's not something I really give a shit about. It's it's something where either I'll watch the pay-per-view later in the evening or I'll watch it on a stream or something, but very rarely am I motivated to say, hey, you know, I'm gonna go and drop whatever it is, forty bucks, forty five dollars to 
to watch this pay-per-view because most times the, the pay-per-views aren't worth all the money that you lay out for them. So for, for that promo to sell me on this pay-per-view, they did a, they did a, a tremendous, tremendous fucking job. I will tell you that, and this was the crazy part, when Punk cut his promo and he talked about Tyson Kidd not even getting the spotlight and he talked about Bruno San Martino, the Bruno San Martino thing, it's funny because that actually turned into a separate story all its own with, um, and I'm going to talk about that with superstar Billy Graham, but the way that he acknowledged that in such a, not even a a, 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 a heel fashion, but in the way that that it just made it look like he didn't give a shit about those accomplishments that those guys did. It, it, it just felt right. A lot of people are like, oh, you know, he shouldn't shit on Bruno San Martino because they're trying to get him in the Hall of Fame, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But you know what? It worked. And I'll tell you what, I did actually get to queue up the promo with The Rock and CM Punk. And I want you guys to check it out if you didn't because it was, like I said, it was, it was magic. Check it out. Because here's the truth about Las Vegas. Here's the truth about the WWE is that it, it doesn't matter if you're the best wrestler. It doesn't matter if you're the best talker. It doesn't matter if you're the best overall performer. It doesn't matter if you make the two clowns sitting to my left on commentary look like amateur hour. There is a glass ceiling and nobody is allowed to break it. That's the simple story of this place. The more popular you are, the more money you make. The more you people cheer for any given superstar, the more opportunities you're afforded. Why do you think a guy like John Cena, who has admittedly had the worst year of his career, gets title shot after title shot after title shot after title shot? Or or why a lethal grappler, why a, a serious submission specialist like Daniel Bryan puts a smile on his face and saddles himself, belittles himself with catchphrases? Or why a 400-pound monster, Brodus Clay, soils his hands by touching your filthy, ugly little children to get in the ring so he can shuck and jive for you. Or why an invisible child, little Jimmy, is better positioned on the flagship show Monday Night Raw than a workhorse like Tyson Kidd. And nobody's ever been able to attain a modicum of success without you except for now until I showed up I have become the most successful WWE champion of all time not of the modern era now that's another little buzzword that somebody backstage wants you to say they probably want to put it on a t-shirt But that's the way you get noticed. You don't get noticed until you start to move a couple of t-shirts around here. If I, if I competed in Bruno San Martino's era, I'd have been champion for 20 years too. No, I'd have been champion for 30 years. Because wrestling one night a month in Madison Square Garden is easy. You never see a Hulk Hogan wrestle TLC matches against a superstar like Ryback. Because he had it easy. I wrestle physically demanding matches on free television week in and week out. So much that my one year equals 30 of theirs. And I have attained this success. Not not because of you. I am successful not because of you. 
I am successful in spite of you. Here's some honesty. I watched Roddy Piper smash a coconut over Jimmy Snooker's head, and I sure as hell didn't say, golly gee, I can't wait to go electrify the people of Tampa Bay, Florida. No, because I don't care about the people of Tampa Bay, Florida. There's good guys and there's bad guys in this world, and make no mistake about it, ladies and gentlemen, I am a bad, bad man. And every time after that, when I beat one of your superheroes, and I don't care if it was John Cena, Ryback, Chris Jericho, Kane, Big Show, Dolph Ziggler, any of the litany of superstars that I've defeated, I wasn't just beating them, I was beating all of you. And for 414 days, that's exactly what I've done. In your face, jerks, I have beaten you. I have stomped you out under my oppressive boot and I'm gonna do the same thing to The Rock because I don't care if he's back you all do not get to win you are losers you do not get to win you The Rock had to hear it all. The Rock wanted to wait until you said everything you had to say so The Rock knew exactly the kind of man he's dealing with at the Royal Rumble. And now it's become crystal clear to The Rock. You are straight up delusional. You keep mentioning that number 414. 414 days you've been WWE champion. That's incredible. Incredible. The real number. It ain't 414, Jack. The real number that haunts your dreams is 20. They know in 20 days, time's up. You want a change. You wanted a revolution. You say that when you became WWE champion, you rejected the people. No, 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 no. The people rejected you. You talked about change. You couldn't do it. You talked about revolution. You couldn't do it. You came out and you promised everybody ice cream bars. Ice cream bars for everybody. And you couldn't even do that. You couldn't provide ice cream if the Dairy Queen, Carvel, and Cookie Puss drove an ice cream truck straight up your ass. They have, they have voices, and they love to use their voice. They use it every single night. Every night they use their voice. As a matter of fact, as a matter of fact, they know something special is getting ready to happen right now. They're going to use their voice. They're going to chant the loudest chant you have ever heard. They're going to chant. They're going to chant something that is going to follow you for the rest of your life. They're going to chant. They're not going to chant respect. They're not going to chant best in the world. They're going to chant exactly what you are. In three seconds, they're going to chant Cookie Puss. Cookie Puss. <laughs> cookie Puss. Cookie Puss. 
the puppets that you are. He got you chanting about ice cream the same way I did a year and a half ago. Congratulations. They still don't get to win. You don't get to win. They don't get to win? They don't get to win. Oh, they've already won. They've already won. See, that's something you fail to realize. They've already won. They won the moment The Rock woke up this morning at 4 a.m. The Rock woke up this morning at 4 a.m. He sent out his early morning tweet to the world. Then The Rock ate his famous pancakes. Then The Rock went to the gym, clanging and banging and clanging and banging. Then The Rock got in his pickup truck and he drove up right up I-75, right through Alligator Alley. Right through Alligator Alley. So The Rock could stand right here, right here in the middle of this ring, in front of you, in front of them, in front of the world, and proudly say, finally, The Rock has come back to Tampa. But you see, Punk, it's not just that The Rock is back. No, it's why The Rock is back. Here's why The Rock is back, for three reasons. The Rock is back to entertain them, the Rock is back to stop you. And after 10 long years, 10 long years, The Rock is back to win that. CM Punk, you have one of the most creative and innovative minds in the history of the WWE. The Rock knows it. You fail to use it. You became WWE champion and you also became the biggest jerk the world has ever seen. The Rock can look, the Rock can look you in the eye and tell you this with all passion and with all heart. When The Rock is here, don't you ever say the people don't matter. They matter. They've always mattered. You're the one that doesn't matter. Oh, I matter. I'm the most successful. It w doesn't matter if you matter. <laughs> The only thing that matters is that you understand, you get it straight in your head, that at Royal Rumble, there ain't no way. And The Rock means no way you're going to stop The Rock from becoming WWE Champion. Unlike a lot of people, I'm glad you're back. I don't care what your schedule is. I don't care if you work here 16 days a year, 365 days a year. You could be Santa Claus and have his schedule. You could one day a year. I'll still kick your ass. I don't care how many movies you film every year. I know how hard that schedule probably is. But every time you come back, whenever you decide to grace us with your presence, I'm going to kick your ass. Because this isn't Candyland. I'm like nobody you've ever faced before. You can make fun of the color of my t-shirt and you can talk about pie and you can sing songs and you can rhyme and you can do your tired, lame-ass shtick. I just want you to know that come Royal Rumble and you have about three weeks to realize this, I'm going to kick your ass because I'm the best in the world. I'm the best thing going today. I'm the best guy you've ever stepped foot in the ring with. And you need to understand, congratulations, Rock. You just graduated from the kiddie table. But you just bit off more than you can chew. 
You're playing Little League with your little insults and your rhymes and your millions and millions and your finallys. And I'm in the big leagues and I'm swinging for the fence. You need to understand that your little jabs and your insults, it's all kitty games. You can't leave a mark on the champ's face. Come Royal Rumble, understand when you step in the ring, your arms are just too short to box with God. You may think that The Rock is boxing with God, but The Rock knows for a fact you are going one-on-one with the great one. Don't you think, don't you think for one single solitary second that The Rock doesn't know how bad you are, how dangerous you are, how tough you are. The Rock knows that. 414 days. The Rock knows. The last time we were in the middle of this ring, you hit The Rock with a GTS and you knocked him out cold. Cold as a block of ice. The Rock didn't forget it. You hurt The Rock. You embarrassed The Rock. He said it before. He'll say it again. In 20 days, time's up. But here's the thing. This is what The Rock wants you to do from now until then. The Rock wants you to go home and think about the next 20 days. As a matter of fact, The Rock wants you to go home and look in the mirror. As a matter of fact, The Rock wants you to go home, look in the mirror, and strip naked. That's what The Rock wants you to do. Go ahead and look at yourself. Don't concentrate on your cookie, puss. Turn around and look at your backside. Turn around, look at your backside, and let's try and find a small space on this body that's not covered in ugly tattoos because The Rock wants you to get two more tattoos, some more tattoos. Here's the thing. Go ahead. On your left butt cheek, The Rock wants you to get a tattoo of a big fat M&M. And then add a Snickers, a Milky Way, a Mounds. You can't have an Almond Joy because unlike you, Almond Joys actually have nuts. And then, and then on your right butt cheek, this is what The Rock wants you to do. The Rock wants you to get the tattoo of The Rock size 15 shoe. So you will have a lifetime reminder of how badly The Rock is going to kick your candy ass at Royal Rumble. Amazing promo from start to finish. WrestleMania is going to be completely insane. And if The Rock stays through after the Rumble, and I really hope that Punk retains the belt, maybe The Rock wins it at the Chamber, and we get Rock and Punk at Mania. Because that's the, honestly, that'll be crazy. The only other thing which I've said is maybe have Brock Lesnar cost Rock the belt so we can get um, Brock and Rock at WrestleMania. And a lot of people are saying Punk is is destined to fight The Undertaker. Either way, Punk with the belt just works. And the funny thing is, and we were talking about this at work, if Punk were to lose the belt tomorrow, the belt is a prop. That's all it is. The belt is a prop. It's just a placeholder. Which, again, it, that's that's where we're at with it. The belt at this point is a placeholder. CM Punk doesn't need it. But it's it's there to make it to make him look better. Is it mandatory for him to be champion? No. Because like like he's always strived to do, he's gonna make himself the center of attention regardless. But overall, Raw Raw was pretty solid in some respects. 
on the TNA side of things, and I want to talk about what they're going to do going forward, they um, they had some really good matches. Kenny King and Zima Ion were were a tremendous, tremendous opener. But I will say this. I almost felt Kenny King was destined to win, not because Zima Ion isn't a good competitor, but I think that the match with um, him and, Jesus Christ, what's the blonde-haired guy's name? Um, shit. Ah, it escapes me. It's, it's a brain fart anyway. But I, I knew Kenny King was going to end up facing that guy at the pay-per-view only because it, it just makes sense. Now, the Robbie T and Miss Tessmacher and Jesse Goddard's versus Tara match was... I knew where they were going because clearly the, the Robs and, and, and Jesse Goddard's are going to have some sort of a beef. But the match was, was too academic and it really didn't do anything to reinforce... Tara and Miss Tessmacher's history, it almost felt like it was more so to showcase Robbie T and Jesse Goddard's, which, again, it was all right, but it didn't do anything for the champion, which, like I said, is, is always and should be front and center, especially with the knockouts who, who, much like the Divas, are starting to really thin out their division. I will say that the new gut check format, though, was, was a better a better opportunity for two guys to showcase their skills because originally TNA's gut check was a guy comes in, they got the story, the video package, he faces an established superstar and then he gets judged and he gets a contract or he doesn't. In this case, Brian Cage and Jay Bradley who wrestled in the, in the WWE, um, they did the match against each other, which was honestly, it was better than doing it against a, a, an established superstar. Having both, gut check competitors compete makes the makes it feel like there's more on the line which i really really like um out of all out of both guys i think jay bradley given his previous experience he's gonna he's definitely gonna get the opportunity um i i like i said i love i love the format i like the way it works and it just makes those guys work harder because there's something on the line now th- this whole joseph park thing they've been showing him training in ovw and I don't know if it's because they want to do away with the abyss gimmick for the time being and really try and get Joseph Park over, but I really, I, I'm kind of torn about it because Joseph Park is very generic. He's a generic guy. Oh, you know, he's Abyss's brother and he goes crazy when he sees blood and becomes Abyss. Blah blah blah. But it's not. It's not the same. You know, it's not. It's not like when Abyss and even Abyss got watered down and destroyed over the years. I think Abyss was at his best when. Uh, the sinister minister James Vandenberg, at the time, was managing him, and he was having the um, the monsters ball match with Raven and all that stuff. I think that was when Abyss was really in top form. I think over the years, his character they've kind of made him like mankind light from WWE, like kind of hacky and 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 silly and not a dangerous uncontrollable monster like he was in the beginning. It's it's strange. It really is strange. I I really didn't like it. Um the Brooke Hogan thing is it's run its fucking course. I understand the the whole thing with Bully Ray and the face turn and but it just it just didn't work. It really didn't work. The tag team match with Jeff Hardy and and James Storm against Austin Aries and Bobby Roode actually was very, very good. Very good. Christopher Daniels and Kazarian of course getting involved we got the DQ finish, which was okay, but honestly, setting up the triple threat is fine. 
Not that I don't like Jeff Hardy as champion, but you can tell that TNA is grasping at straws to keep him as champion by giving him the belt and stuff. So when his contract is up, he doesn't leave. With with Jeff Hardy's history and and what he's been going through, I think that involve keeping him in TNA is a better option because the schedule, you know, the schedule, you know, the schedule keeps him. It keeps him sane. It keeps him stay. It keeps him safe. But um, you know, it's not it's not the thing of oh, the WWE schedule is going to make him become a druggie again because you can say that. But I think in his case, I just think that the lighter schedule for Jeff Hardy is beneficial to keep his body healthy because he goes out there and he has some some really physical matches. And in the WWE schedule, not to say that he works safer, but he's going to be more prone to want to do a lot more crazy matches, a lot more crazy spots in TNA. He's he's mellowed out a bit. He still does those crazy spots, but he does them in, in matches where it really, really matters like the match he did with Austin Aries was amazing from start to finish. And he really looked at his element and he looked fresh. It wasn't like he was going through the motions and, um, you know, just putting his body on the line. I think in, in Hardy's case, TNA schedule and the way that they do their, their television pro their television recordings and their live broadcast works better for him. And I think it's just a safer environment. I think putting him on the road, with WWE, you know, 300 plus days a year, unless he gets a modified contract, would it, you'd expect he would thrive. But me personally, I think it's just not the environment for him. But overall, Impact this week was okay. I think they, the, the Aces and Eights thing has really, really, really run its course. And the Brooke Hogan thing, honestly, she's supposed to be head of the knockouts, and they spend more time on her and her relationship with Bully Ray and, and, and the involvement with Hulk Hogan than they do with her quote-unquote managing the knockouts which that's just poor writing on their part and when i talk about the the announcement tna made this week um you know i I, hopefully the announcement that they made is going to help alleviate what's been going on with their programming so with that said let's get into the the other wrestling news for this week and um one of the first things I want to talk about is Kurt Hawkins, who is supposed to be coming back from knee surgery within the, within the next four to six weeks, if not sooner. Um, Kurt Hawkins is a guy who he was really starting to hit his stride as a performer when he was there. Um, you know, when he was in the, in, in the tag team with um, Tyler Rex, and not for nothing, when he was working with um, what the hell is that guy's name? Damn, not with Zack Ryder because he's been. He's worked with Zack Ryder on two tag teams, the Edgeheads and the Major Brothers, but he was working with another guy, and I think he got released, I'm not 100% sure, before they put him with Tyler Rex, but in Kurt Hawkins' case, he's a guy who's been stuck pretty much in limbo every time he's been on the roster, and we got another guy, which, and I've said this, Zack Ryder, who's, if you re- if you read this week's Buried, you'll, you'll see that, um, Cork and Blade really summed it up quite nicely with Zack Ryder. I, I think Hawkins should, they should put them together with Ryder and give those guys a brand new opportunity at the tag team titles. That would keep Ryder on television. It would help Hawkins as well. And it would kind of help repackage Ryder a little bit. I think that Ryder's problem and a lot of, we, we were talking about this, you know, I, I spoke about this with, with Quark and Blade, but we talk, we talk wrestling at my office 
Zack Ryder's problem is that he's a self-made superstar. WWE's machine helped him, but he kind of created his own gimmick. And the thing with him is that a lot of people feel that it's all part of an angle. But let's take, for instance, his complaint, his complaining about being not being included in the top uh, Twitter account list. Now, one of the first arguments a lot of people are going to make is, oh, you know, it wasn't a top. It didn't say top five. It didn't say uh, most followed, etc. It just had their numbers that which is fine. But the numbers were in numerical order. And the fact that he had 100,000 more followers than The Miz, when you look at it from just a numeric standpoint, should have been should have been that he's on the list. But looking at that list, you know, with a with a with a fresh with a fresh view, it it's really just them telling you these are the guys that we that we're currently pushing that have high numbers of followers on Twitter. It wasn't even a question about Zack Ryder and his follower count. It was more just about them saying these are the guys we're pushing and these are the amount of followers they got. Did Zack Ryder get clowned? Absolutely. But going going and constantly complaining about it. It, yeah, I understand his frustration, but it it could always be worse. He could just be released and then have to go to TNA and rebuild himself from the ground up. I think that Zack Ryder's in such a unique predicament because either somebody in upper management hates him or the company just wants to make him suffer every time he talks shit. And there's no better indicator of that uh, of that than when JTG opened his mouth. You know, he he opened his mouth on Twitter about it. And he got destroyed by Ryback, which was obvious. And you can see that even based on the commentary, like, oh, you know, JTG wanted competition. He's got it. Zack Ryder is going to be in a situation where either they're going to find something for him or WrestleMania is going to come and he's going to end up shortly after WrestleMania in the uh, future endeavored uh, listing. Much like a lot of those guys. I honestly think after WrestleMania, we may see the last of, of guys like JG, uh, JTG, uh, Yoshitatsu. I think those guys are definitely on the chopping block, not because of their abilities, but just because creative has nothing for them. There were rumors of them trying to do an X Division thing, and you know, an X Division style, Cruiserweight style program, and I don't even know what the future of that is, unless they're going to do it on the WWE Network, which as of right now, they haven't even talked about it publicly anymore. So... Zack Ryder, I think, at this point, he should try to reinvent himself a little bit on his own, much like he did when he when he launched the YouTube channel, and just force WWE to push him, but not complain every five minutes. Because I think every time he complains, they, they he takes two steps back. Yes, it sucks that you're a great performer and you're not on television. Yes, it sucks that the WWE snubs you when it comes to a lot of social media stuff, but... They still, you still sell merchandise. You still make money, so they're not going to give that away. With you know, recklessly. If they do, it's just going to be because they want to make a statement. So I, I really hope they do use him. Like I said, he has he he does have a tremendous upside, but he he's kind of his own enemy at this moment. But if anybody can help Kurt Hawkins, it's Zack Ryder. I posted this on our Facebook fan page and John Cena is officially replacing Fred Flintstone, at least for a limited time on the cover on the boxes of Fruity and Cocoa Pebbles, which is a, a nice little tie in that WWE got courtesy of, of, of the rocks promo. But fr frankly, you got your guy. He's, he's your flagship guy. Kids love him. 
it, it's fitting that he that he's the guy you kind of put on a kid's cereal box. As silly as it is and hokey as it is, it's it's great mainstream exposure. And again, it continues to reinforce John Cena just being pushed as as a role model for for kids, as somebody that kids can relate to and gravitate to. Especially because of all the charity work and all the great stuff he's done, it's fitting that he would be the guy on the cover. I got I got to give I got to give credit where credit is due. Speaking of releases, which I was you know kind of leaning towards. When we were talking about Zack Ryder, TNA has a couple of guys and, and girls that are no longer on the roster. The, uh, the Pope, D'Angelo De Niro, said on his Twitter that his contract expired on January 1st and that he will not be re-signing. He did thank uh, Dixie Carter and the TNA family for a wonderful three-plus years. The funny thing, the Pope's character when he was on TNA television was tremendously entertaining, but... Within a matter of, I'd say, six months, they completely lost sight of what they wanted to do with him. One minute he'd come out, it was raining money, and he'd, you know, his wrestling was pretty good. After he did the feud with Samoa Joe, and then the angle with Devon and Devon's kid, it just, it just took a complete turn for the worse for D'Angelo De Niro. And it's unfortunate because he, he's very entertaining. He has, he's a charismatic dude, and honestly. I think WWE would probably pick him up. I wouldn't be surprised if they do because he's he's an established guy that WWE used before and he he would fit into that into that current sports entertainment style programming that they're doing with Raw for instance with him. He you can kind of use that Pope gimmick even if you bring him back as Elijah Burke. You can you can have a lot of fun with that if it's written correctly. Obviously you're not going to you're not going to steal the Pope gimmick from TNA, but if you did something similar in WWE and really uh, poured some energy into the guy, I think he could be successful, especially in the mid-card, which right now, like I said, between Kofi, Cesaro, and Wade Barrett, those are honestly the only three mid-card guys we're seeing. Uh, the Miz is, is, is kind of fluctuating back and forth. Sandow and Rhodes are occupied in, in, in the tag team side of things, so you kind of lose sight of the mid card, but it really is very, very, very thin. And I think guys like the Pope, Shelton Benjamin, which they were talking about, there's a rumor that they signed El Generico. Those were all guys that definitely would, would help flesh out that mid card and really create breakout stars for the company. On the women's side of things, uh, Sarita's profile was removed from TNA's website. So was Rosita's profile as well, who was her tag team partner. They were booked as cousins. Unfortunate because Sarita is a tremendous wrestler and she was just never, never used to her fullest potential by TNA management. They put her with, um, you know, Mexican America and that was kind of cool. Then you had the knockouts tag team titles and her involvement there was good. But honestly, if WWE was smart, they'd scoop her up and throw her into the Divas division. Uh, she's very attractive, super athletic, high flying. Um, also, bilingual especially with wwe expanding uh, more so into into more uh areas that have a predominantly latin demographic you need you need uh personas like that and i'm sure it's not a spoiler at this point but that's one of the reasons that they're saying they put the belt on del rio it wasn't just about getting the belt off the big show but supposedly and again could take this as a rumor wwe needs to create a brand new Hispanic star because Rey Mysterio 
He's got two wellness violations. He's hampered by injuries. We know where this is going. Sinkara is, again, tremendously athletic. They had a lot of energy invested into him, but, again, injury bug, um, not not as popular as they thought he was going to be. Not to say that he's not popular, but just not as popular. These are all These are all things that definitely have affected what's been going on with them trying to create new Latin superstars. But again, the WWE picks and chooses. You have, you know, Primo and Epico that are guys that you can do stuff with that you just continue to make a mockery of in the tag team ranks. You have Carlito, who's a free agent, who you guys, you know, WWE allegedly says the door is open for him to come back anytime. He's another guy you can use and really just kill it with him. I don't understand what the big deal is with not pushing those guys that you already have on your roster. You have to pretty much make Del Rio do a complete 180 from his snobbish, rich guy persona, which was what he was known for, to I'm going to defend my little buddy, and that's going to be the face turn. Again, not the worst thing in the world, but when you've invested so much energy into making him an arrogant aristocrat, it's kind of tough to bring that full circle so quickly and expect people to jump on board. You want to create a Latino star? That's fine. But again, you have guys there, and you had guys earlier on that you could have done that with. And it almost feels like it's um, it's it's rush booking. Obviously, like I said, taking a belt off the big show, great. I have no problem with it. Putting it on Del Rio, it's funny because... In a conversation I had with uh, Captain Quark, he said that he doesn't mind Del Rio being champion. And I said, you know, it's because of Ricardo Rodriguez, which is probably the more the more entertaining part of Del Rio to begin with. And I said, if Del Rio wasn't with uh, Ricardo Rodriguez, would you mind him being your champion? And it pretty much was like, you know, fuck that guy, which is true. I mean, Ricardo Rodriguez kind of rounds out that gimmick. It's almost like the 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 cartoon version of Don Quixote and Sancho Panza, who they did as a as a panda bear in a lot of cartoons. That's pretty much how they did it with um that they're going to do it with um Del Rio and Ricardo Rodriguez. Seriously, that's that's really how it looks from a from a cartoonish Hispanic standpoint. Do I mind Del Rio as champion? No. Do I feel that the face turn was super rushed to a degree? Yes. Am I Am I bummed that Sin Cara never got a fair shake? Absolutely. And the reason I say that is because you took a guy, he didn't learn the WWE style, you thrust him out there with people that weren't accustomed to wrestling his style, and it just made him look bad. Not to mention that you gave him an entrance that, while cool on paper, was always a recipe for disaster. Yeah, it was cool that he did the trampoline spot and it was fine, but there was always that that chance that he could hurt himself, that he could, um, it, it just never worked. Not to mention the injuries that have plagued him, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that he's a bust, which a lot of, a lot of websites have said. I just think that he hasn't been, he really hasn't been coached correctly to thrive in the WWE superstar environment. That's, that's how I feel about it. With regards to what I was saying with the knockouts, just to kind of bring it full circle, Sarita should definitely get a shot Rosita, eh, you know, she's little and cute, and her wrestling is pretty good, but at this point, you have AJ that kind of fills that role quite nicely. It's almost like you're going to bring in a completely Hispanic 
AJ to do the same thing. Not so much, but considering how thin the Divas roster is, they fuck it, bring them both in. Now, as I mentioned earlier on in the segment, CM Punk with his pipe bomb promo offended superstar Billy Graham, who took to his Twitter to state the following. And again, I understand, but what Chris Jericho said afterwards was equally amusing. Excuse me. Billy Graham said the following on his Facebook. I watched the last hour of WWE Raw last night. It was the worst excuse for a show I have ever seen. My agent Scott is tight with legendary world champion Bruno San Martino. Scott has told me that WWE has been calling Bruno regularly, begging him to go into the Hall of Fame. Bruno has been polite, but has always said no thank you. Tonight on Raw for the last 45 minutes of the show, all they did was have CM Punk talk, talk, and more talk. The killer line came when Vince had Punk put over his 314 straight days as world champion and then said, and I quote, you had people like Bruno Sammartino only wrestled in Madison Square Garden, who only wrestled in Madison Square Garden and only wrestled once a month. This was by far the biggest put down of Bruno ever. Why would the WWE have Punk say that about someone they've been begging to go into the Hall of Fame for an untold number of years? When that teenager-looking CM Punk made that statement, he was also talking about me, Ivan Koloff, Stan Hansen, etc. Find the rerun and listen closely and answer me this, my Facebook friends. How can they justify putting down a real icon like this and not get called out on it? Any news sites can quote me on my statement below. CM Punk, I have lost all respect for you for not saying no to the writers of the WWE for saying Bruno Sammartino only wrestled once a month in Madison Square Garden. You talk about one of the greatest icons ever in pro wrestling like he was a jobber. You should be ashamed of yourself for not having self-dignity to say no to the writers on that line. That line you delivered indicates that I'm a big loser like Bruno as well and insults me as I wrestled in the same era as Bruno. This only confirms more that I want my name out of the WWE Hall of Fame. How many monthly sellouts have you yourself drawn at Madison Square Garden? Not a pay-per-view or a Raw TV, but the Garden. Quit talking trash about, about Bruno. It's an insult to him and all the wrestlers of his era, including myself. Chris Jericho went on to say the following. Dear Billy Graham, shut the hell up and stop being such a mark. Your pal, Chris Jericho. Now... You know, I love Chris Jericho. He's always brutally honest. But I do have to say this. And this is this goes back to the incident that my coworker had with CM Punk at the house show. CM Punk's job is to be a villain. If he doesn't go out there and say the most controversial things, then he's not doing his job to the fullest potential. Sure, you can say that. But you know what? He's been mentioning Bruno Sammartino for weeks. If WWE was smart, Bruno Sammartino would come out and t- and you know get in CM Punk's face, and that would that would be a, a, a wonderful moment. But obviously they're not going to do that. But again, CM Punk needs to say this stuff. The name dropping of, of guys like Tyson Kidd, uh, the, the 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 promo that he used on The Rock this past Monday, the promos with John Cena, the pipe bomb promo, they're all essential. To his character. If you restrict what CM Punk says. CM Punk loses. 
that intangible that made him loved by the fans in the first place. CM Punk as a heel or as a face is known for dropping pipe bombs, for dropping things that are true. That's that's how it works, or, or using a shoot-style promo. For, for Billy Graham to get that upset, it almost feels like he forgot that that's what the business is about. The Iron Sheik used to walk into an arena and shit on the United States. Shit on them. To the point where people were... Je- He'd get death threats. Same thing happened with Sergeant Slaughter. When Sergeant Slaughter became the Iraqi sympathizer during his feud with Hulk Hogan at the time. Yeah, it was with Hulk Hogan. If if I fucked that up, I apologize. But same thing. These are parts of being an effective bad guy. He could come out there and say your city sucks and your sports team sucks or your 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 favorite basketball player sucks. Or, hey, the actor that's in the front row, he sucks. And it wouldn't have the same weight. But for him to come out there and cut a promo where he says, you know, his 400-plus days are are 20 times better than Bruno Sammartino's or, or Hulk Hogan's. When Hulk Hogan himself is commending CM Punk on Twitter, that's because there's an understanding of his character and what the fuck he's doing. Stop being such a tight ass. I like superstar Billy Graham. I've I've seen a lot of his his old matches and he was awesome. He was the inspiration for a lot of a lot of those great cocky heels like Jesse the Body Ventura and, and and all those other guys. Superstar Billy Graham was an effective heel in his day. But you know what? Times have changed. You got to do something that makes people think, that makes people interested. You can't use the same cookie cutter shit that you always use. It, there's no better proof of that than The Rock this past Monday. While The Rock was entertaining, and I've always been a fan of The Rock since I was a kid, you can see, especially now that I'm older, that it was just, it felt childish. When CM Punk said, you know, your arms are too short to box with God, it was such a such a, a brutal and, and, and perfectly well-placed line that it really made me, like I said, invested in wanting to see this. That's what an effective heel does. For Bruno San Mar- for Bruno San Martino to to be offended if he is 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 silly. For Billy Graham to be offended, it's silly because this is what the business is. Now, if he said in an interview, in a real life interview, "Hey, you know, Bruno San Martino's a punk bitch," then yeah, okay, you could be upset, but it's television. Everything is, everything is a, you know, it's not a shoot at that point. It's questionable. It's gray. And if anybody's good at doing gray, it's CM Punk. I got to disagree with Billy Graham. Yeah, I mean, you know, the Bruno San Martino stuff, he's been doing it for a while. He's been doing it for, for, I'd like to say the last month and a half, he finds a way to throw Bruno in there. When he talks about his title accolades and things like that, Bruno San Martino's gonna come up. Because he's in the record books. The same way Macho Man came up. The same way Ric Flair has come up. Hogan has come up. Foley has come up. That's that's his job. Especially with the amount of days he's been champion. That is his job. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous what people get upset about. Honestly, CM Punk did a tremendous fucking job. And as I mentioned, you know, he mentioned Tyson Kidd in his promo. It pains me to say that Tyson Kidd is injured and is out of action probably for for a minimum of a year. 
They're saying that he fractured his knee and he tore his ACL. But the crazy thing is he worked on the injury for the rest of his match. And also the next night, still injured, he did his match. Tyson Kidd is a tremendous talent. It's unfortunate that, that, that he had such a terrible injury to be out for so long. Hopefully when he comes back, the WWE invests some time into him and, and really tries to get him out there. Come on, the guy's the last graduate from the Hart Dungeon. He's, he's an accomplished technical wrestler, a great high flyer, and you're just he's just squandered. I thought he was going to really get a good run with Justin Gabriel, and they dropped the ball on that. Now the guy is injured, and you're short another talented performer. So there you have it. On the TNA side of things, TNA is making a, a huge adjustment. They're actually going to shift from doing a pay-per-view every month to doing four, four main pay-per-views and then doing what they're calling one-night-only events, which are going to be kind of mini pay-per-views, but they'll be, of course, substantially cheaper. Basically, according to what PW Insider said, the breakdown's going to be like this. Bound for Glory is going to cost $44.95. That's, that's the equivalent of TNA's WrestleMania. Slammiversary... You know, Slammiversary is going to be $39.95. Genesis and Lockdown are going to be $34.95. And then those one-night-only three-hour tape specials are going to be $14.95. So that's how it's going to go. Genesis on January 13th, Lockdown on March 10th, Slammiversary on June 9th, and Bound for Glory on October 13th are going to be the big four. Then, like I said, the seven pay-per-view specials they're going to do, they're going to do... um. Some of the ones that have been mentioned thus far, TNA Extravaganza, which is going to be a three-hour uh, mini pay-per-view, quote-unquote, dedicated to the X Division. Then you're going to do a Joker's Wild Tag Team Tournament Special, which is going to feature enemies teaming and also a Battle Royal. They're going to tape that to air in May, and they're going to tape it sometime in January. They're going to do a Hardcore Justice uh, Special with um, hardcore matches, and they're going to probably try and bring in ECW talent. They're going to do a TNA 10 reunion, which is going to have stars from the early days of TNA, and they're going to wrestle in the six-sided ring. So it's going to be pretty cool for 14 bucks. You get that. It's three hours. Nice little build-up for it. They're going to do one also dedicated to the knockouts. They're going to do the International Incident, which is going to be talent from all over the world. And one of my favorites, which I really have always enjoyed, they're going to bring back the X Division World Cup Tournament which is going to be four teams of X Division wrestlers in a one-night tournament, which is going to have singles, tag, six-man, and eight-man tag team matches. So that's probably going to be one of the first ones that I order. And also they're going to do a World Cup of Wrestling as well. So like I said, 14 bucks, not bad. And not only that, but you don't have to really invest time into building those cards because those cards are going to be themed. So you don't got to really throw stories in there unless it's absolutely necessary. But now it allows TNA to flesh out their storylines and really plan them out. Obviously, Genesis is a big one, so you want to do that lockdown, no question. But you have ample buildup. Let's say once you wrap up Genesis, January 13th, you know, which is next, you know, this coming Sunday, you have, um, you know, a, a full-on month, a full-on month and two weeks to build a pay-per-view for lockdown. It's going to take plenty of time. You can do a lot of great character development and generate a tremendously great pay-per-view. Not only that, but it won't cost you an arm and a leg and people won't have to spend 
excuse me, they won't have to spend so much. I think it's a great idea to do it that way. And for TNA, hopefully it'll be something completely different. Honestly, TNA spent way too much time trying to be like the WWE. And it was really hindering them in terms of growth. Going this route, you save money, you can tape these specials, and you can have a lot of fun with it, which is cool. Like, if they do re- uh, returning, uh, featuring stars of the X Division, there have been so many great X Division talent in the in TNA from, from inception to now that you'll be able to call those guys in and record a nice little card. And then when you find out who's on that card, you won't mind spending 15 bucks because you're going to get three hours and it's going to be exactly what you want to see. Me, personally, I'm a big X Division fan, so I know I'll probably see Extravaganza, or I'll see um, International Incident, or I'll see the X Cup, which which is a, a no-brainer. I, it, again, solid idea on TNA's part, and hopefully it's going to be something that's going to pay off dividends down the road. All right, with that said, we are going to wrap things up. Let's get into the gaming segment. From what I'm hearing, the bumpers, for I don't know why they're not playing for the blog talk radio audience. So we are going to go into gaming and depending on whether they hear it or not, I'll take care of that in post. Let's talk some video games. All right, let's get into this gaming news because there's a lot of things I want to talk about. But the first thing, which is something that really, really, really just, it, it, it almost sounds Peter Griffinish to say it grinds my gears, but check this out. So they put out a survey. It was commissioned by Common Sense Media and the Center for American Progress. So they put out a survey that found that 89% of parents in the U.S. believe that violence in today's video games is a problem. 89%. 75% believe that violence in video games contributes to violent, ve- violent behavior. The survey was conducted across all 50 states and um, during a period of January 4th through the 5th, and they spoke with 1,050 parents who have children under the age of 18 living at home, aimed to identify, and you know, of course, it aimed to identify what parents believe contributes to violence. So here's a deeper breakdown of the survey. So besides those two big numbers, the survey found 93% of parents worldwide say lack of supervision for children contributes to violence. Gee, that's a fucking no-brainer. 92% of parents nationwide say bullying contributes to, to violence. Understandable, to a degree. 86% of parents nationwide say crime in day-to-day life contributes to violence. Really? That's, that's fucking obvious, too. 70, 77% of the parents say violence in TV and movies contributes 75 percent say parent of parents nationwide say easy access to guns contributes going deeper 75 percent of parents say that violence in video games contributes 64 percent say violent toys contribute those and get this those surveyed were shown a video advertisement for hitman absolution to which 84 percent said the advertisement was inappropriate to show on tv at a time when children are watching Going a little further, when asked whether violent video games contributed to violent behavior, like I said, 75% said yes, 17% said no, and 8% were unsure. Now, here's, here's the thing with this that really, that really kills me. 
first of all, you you interviewed and you surveyed a very small pool of parents, which which when it comes to studies is always something that I've always if you're not doing it on a mass scale, the results you can wipe your ass with them. But here's the thing that kills me. Let's let let let's go into the numbers a little deeper. 89% of parents in the U.S. believe that violence in today's video games, right, are a problem. Are Out of those 89%, why didn't you ask them, do you monitor, supervise, or are aware of what your children play? Can you tell me, you know, at the drop of a hat, what your, what your son or daughter watched on television that night between the hours of 8 and 11, which is quote-unquote the family hour? Well, you know, eight to ten usually. Eight, eight to ten being the family hour. Do you know what your son was, your son or daughter was watching? I bet you that same eighty-nine percent, a majority of them would be like, "No, I don't." Do you know what game your son or daughter bought this past week that quote unquote is so violent? Do you know? Some of them may say yes, and they'll and then you. The next question I would follow up with would be, "Did you read the rating?" I guarantee you a large percentage of them will be like, what rating? This is the kind of shit I'm talking about. And then we go into bullying. Bullying contributes to violence. I have I have a very interesting opinion on bullying. Bullying is something that's always going to happen growing up. It's also something that has kind of been paintbrushed into a huge, huge definition nowadays. If I'm out with my friends... And we're goofing off and, and we're hanging out in the McDonald's or whatever. And I call one of my friends, you know, a douchebag or, you know, I call I call my chubby friend, you know, double chins or whatever. Automatically, it's bullying automatically. It's 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 it's, it's goofing off. It's playing around. It happens. Sure. Kids are kids are, are, are terrible in school. They are. It's just it's just a fact of life. But it's your job as a parent to sit down with your kids and say, listen, you, this is what's going to happen in school. Any parent nowadays, if you ask them, hey, were you picked on in school in some shape or way or form? They're probably going to say, yeah. And when you ask them, what did you do about it? They're probably going to give you different old school responses. Personally, my mom had a very easy mantra. She goes, I send you to school to learn. They hit you, you hit back. That was it. In terms of, of getting picked on or whatever... My mom really never had an answer for it, and you know whatever I handled myself as as any kid who's who's taught to handle themselves can. You know, did I fight? Yeah, on occasion. You know, or, or did I? You know, did I do something stupid? Yeah, of course, on occasion. We we've all we've all done that. But again, to to paint such a broad stroke on bullying is 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 a separate issue. And yeah, sure, it's going to contribute to violence if a kid gets picked on. To the point where he, you know, he grabs a gun and walks into his school and shoots somebody. I understand that. But again, there's more to it than just the bullying. There's underlying psychological issues there as well. It's fact. With regards to violent TV and violent movies, again, are you watching what your kids are doing? That should have been a question that should have been placed at the end of that survey. Are you aware of what your children are doing and what they're accessing on the web and on television? Are you aware? Easy access to guns. Easy access to guns is 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 interesting because again, 
this goes into gun violence, et cetera, et cetera. But let's be realistic. If you got guns in your house, you should sit down with your kids if they're of age and, you know, explain to them, hey, you know, this is for protection. You know, this isn't for, for showing off, whatever. And you as a parent should either lock them up accordingly or 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 just keep them in a place where your kids can't get to them so easily. Again, I'm not telling you to, to to put your guns away or whatever, but let's be honest. People own guns. Sometimes kids steal the guns from their house, sure. But do you know how easy sometimes it is that you can buy a gun from a criminal on the street? That's a separate issue all its own. Gun legislation, sure, you can you can talk about gun legislation till you're blue in the face. But when you're when you're a criminal or you want to commit a crime, you're gonna find a way to commit a crime. Whether it's with a gun or without, whether you get the gun from home or you buy the gun from a drug dealer or you buy the gun at a swap meet, crime is crime and it's going to happen. Violent TV shows, violent movies have existed for as long as I can remember. It's just the way shit is. And for these studies to be put out there with such a small pool and, and, and so much misinformation floating around, it's, it's, it's crazy. Like, I would love for, for a governing body in the video game community, somebody like the ECA, to pool, I'd say pool 10,000 parents. And there's ways to do it. Pool 10,000 parents. First question, are you aware of what your children play? And, and it's either fully aware, partially aware, not aware. Do you buy games for your children? Yes. Next question should be right after that. Do you buy your game? Do you buy games for your children at their request, or do you research what you're going to buy them? That's what that that's the kind of study that should be out there. This broad this broad paintbrush approach, it, all it's doing is it's it's filling people's heads with misinformation and painting a target on industries that sure they 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 go out of their way to govern what they release, but again, it, it, it's a two way street. Gaming and entertainment do their part by rating their programming. Parents should do their part by by educating. Simple as that. So again, another fucking baseless bullshit study that's gonna that's gonna that paints video games in an unfavorable light finds its way into the general public. Anyway, shifting gears, I gotta talk about THQ. I'm really bummed with what's happened with them. Obviously, a lot a lot of stuff with regards to their assets has been floating around lately. As of right now, it seems that they're going to sell THQ titles to whatever buyers are interested, some including EA and various other parties that want to be involved, Ubisoft, et cetera, et cetera. It's crazy only because the, you know, THQ has, has great franchises, Saints Row, um, WWE, UFC, which, which I, I, something tells me that UFC was smart and going to EA Maybe they knew something was up. Darksiders, the list goes on. Now you have all these all, all these properties out there, which they may get picked up, and who knows? They may just sit in limbo. Like, think about it. We we may never see a Darksiders three. If 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 a publisher picks it up and doesn't want to invest some time and energy into it, or if they do, they're gonna they may not even use the same creative team. Who knows? It's 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 really really fucked up the way things went for THQ. But they also were 
they they were also a factor in their own demise. You know, that whole you draw scenario was was ridiculous and it, and it really really fucked them up. So it's it's crazy to see how low they've fallen after having such a great great run. And and, it, and for me, you know, I'd like to see where WWE goes from here because in WWE's case, do you do you, do you go and and give the license to to a company like EA who may or may not just roster update the shit out of it or do do you give it to somebody who's more inclined like maybe you give it to Sega and and or 2K and let 2K try their hand at it at, at you know making something different it's going to be very interesting to see that personally i'm curious to see what they do with Saints Row um WWE and of course most most importantly Darksiders just cuz i'm a big fan so We'll see who gets those in this auction. Supposedly, the bidding is hell. Is is they're holding the bidding until January fifteenth. So if I get any news, you'll hear about it that Thursday on the show for the seventeenth. So we'll see where that goes. Sony has confirmed that the PlayStation Two has officially been discontinued. Um, a lot of this, of course, of course, makes people wonder if it's because they're shifting gears to start really focusing their energies on the PS Four. I just think that we're at a point where, you know, the PS2 is the best-selling home console of all time with 150 million units. Everybody's had one or has one already. So there was nothing left to prove. I still have my PS2. On the contrary, I still play it quite a bit because mine is modded and I have a lot of Japanese titles, which, you know what? I think in in homage to the the PS2, I'm going to start doing uh, Blast from the Past with some... Uh, with some PS2 games, maybe I'll break out um, Street Fighter EX and some of the other games I got uh, collecting dust in a, in a binder. So that just gave me a great idea. Be on the lookout for some blast from the past with some PS2 games in the coming weeks. Maybe that some Samurai Showdown collection. Uh, maybe we'll also uh, take a crack at some of those older games, Battle Arena to Shinden, shit like that. So that just gave me a great idea. So I'm sad to see the PS2 be discontinued but it had a a tremendously successful run and if you don't have a ps2 at this point it they're very easy to acquire and you know some of us like i said i'm not i'm not saying i'm for or against it but if you got one that's modded you you know you have a tremendous international library of games at your disposal as well and some news that i'm sure slick will discuss at length in in the coming months we're going to get a brand new set of Pokemon games simply titled Pokemon X and Y. They're coming out in October for the 3DS in Japan, Europe, and North America. I'm, I'm not sure if it's going to be a, a simultaneous release, but, you know, Japan comes up first. So the way I see it is the the brand new Pokemon series, they're going to use a brand new starting three, uh, which is going to be Chespin, Fennekin, and Froakie. That's what it looks like. So, um, ah, thank you. Slick just told me that it is indeed a worldwide, a worldwide release in October. So very interesting to see them go this route with Pokemon, you know, just something fresh, brand new starting three, not to say that the Pokemon series has run its course, but just expanding on the mythology and giving people something completely new is always nice. I mean, you could play black and white and, and et cetera, and you can do the one where you combine the Pokemon, but this completely new i've actually seen some screenshots that look really nice so it's going to be great to see 
um, a brand new spin on the Pokemon universe this October. Again, if you got a 3DS, definitely pick it up. First party title, so you know it's going to be good. And um, like I said, worldwide, be on the lookout for it. We're going to get some first DLC pack news for Call of Duty Black Ops 2, uh, titled Revolution. It's going to be the first DLC, brand new zombie mode, new gun. There's going to be another mode called Turn, uh, which is going to let players actually control the zombies, and as and those zombies will be able to scent at a human player. So, you know, it, it's going to be it's going to be crazy the way they're going to do that. I saw some video of it, and hopefully, I can set that up and post it on the site. Uh, if not tonight, then tomorrow. They're also unveiling a new gun called the Peacemaker, which is which is an SMG assault rifle hybrid. You're also getting four multiplayer packs: Hydro, Downhill. Uh, grind and mirage so the way it's broken down is hydro is going to be a map that's going to be um it's going to have a water flooding in through the dam downhill is going to be a snow map grind for some reason is a skate park and mirage is going to feature a building being hit by a sandstorm so very interesting to say the least i know a lot of uh, a lot of our listeners love love themselves some call of duty uh, they play it for extremely long periods of time, which leads me to the next bit of news, which is that Digital Spy reported that Black Ops 2 users have spent a combined 427 million hours playing the game online since it launched in November. I'm sure that number is going to increase tremendously once that first bit of DLC comes out. Another bit of news that I know Slick is going to be pumped about, Deep Silver announced a collector's edition for Dead Island Riptide dubbed the Dead Island Riptide Rigamortis Edition. Uh, basically, what you're going to get there, it's available for pre-order, first-come, first-served basis, $79, well, 80 bucks, and you're going to get a zombie hula girl bobble figurine, a bloody zombie arm bottle opener magnet, a bungalow key with a branded wood keychain, and a copy of the game's special edition for, the, you know, for your console. The special edition will also include extra DLC content and a digital strategy map. All of that's going to be plug, uh, packaged in a replica Dead Island suitcase. So if you're really pumped to pick that up, go pre-order it. The game drops April 23rd in North America for the PS3, Xbox 360, and Windows. Very, very cool. Especially, uh, I've seen some pictures of it, and I'm sure Slick is going to be a day one pre-order for him, and I'm sure he'll he'll share his wisdom on it in the coming weeks as well. A game that kind of went under the radar for the last couple of months um, that I haven't talked about because, again, it's been under the radar and extremely quiet is Injustice. That's going to be the new DC fighting game courtesy of the creative team from Mortal Kombat, and they've actually announced a, a couple of new characters being added to the game, including Aquaman, Sinestro, Shazam, and Doomsday. They're also... um doing adding Bane and Lex Luthor as well. So pretty cool. Actually looking forward to playing as Doomsday and Bane. Again, make it make of it what you will, but it's a fighting game. I, I really enjoy it. And honestly the team that did the last Mortal Kombat game the last Mortal Kombat game, excuse me, did a pretty solid job on it. So I think they'll do well with the DC universe. The gameplay I've seen has been a little a little stiff, definitely not super fluid. Hopefully they'll flesh that out in time for their release when the game drops later on this year. 
Slick also informed me in the chat that he did pre-order Riptide last year. So there you go, Slick. Certain things I just expect, and I'm glad to hear that you pre-ordered that. Walking Dead Survival Instinct, which everybody's looking forward to, first-person shooter game put out by Activision, um, is going to, of course, star Daryl and Merle. With They're going to both be voiced by their respective uh, actors from the show, Norman Reedus and Michael Rooker. And it's going to be a prequel for the show, and the game is dropping March 26th, so be on the lookout for that. Last but not least, to round things out, we got some MPD console numbers from the holiday season. Get this. Video game hardware for 2012 was $4.4 billion. That's a 27% decline from, from 2011's $5.5 billion, which is which is ridiculous. That's a huge drop. In December alone, the hardware sales fell 20%. In in two thousand in two thousand and twelve it was one point three billion, which I mean in two thousand eleven it was one point three billion and one point five billion in two thousand and twelve, ridiculous. Not only that, but physical retail sales of software declined twenty three percent as well. That, but there's a couple of reasons for that. I mean, there's so many ways to get games now. You got Xbox Live Marketplace, PSN, and more people are buying used games just based on the economy. It, it, you you want people to go and drop $60 and then you release three or four five-star titles within weeks of each other. In a recession, it's going to be hard to move those type of units. Seriously, it is. Even even myself, I didn't... Right now I'm playing Assassin's Creed 3 and Need for Speed Most Wanted and I didn't buy those games on release. I bought them on Black Friday because they were 30 bucks a piece, brand new. And and partially it's just because I can't spend what I spent previously on games because the cost of living has increased substantially. And, and for and for that, a lot of the games you're spending this money and you're not getting that same that same value you were getting before. One, because it may be the quality of the game isn't as good as you'd hoped. The other is that the game the value of the game is being increased because of all the DLC shit you end up buying. So like I've said, you know, a sixty dollar game becomes an eighty dollar game when you're done. Which, you know, you could make a case for it a couple of different ways. A, because it might be DLC that just expands the replayability of the game. Sometimes it's just a cash grab. But still, with the economy and the state it's in, and yeah, it is improving gradually, I can I can really understand why these numbers have been declining. Not only that, but there just hasn't been anything out there that's really wowed anyone. Yeah, you can say, oh, the Wii U was amazing. Yeah, it was, but the response was tepid. And that leads me into the second part of the news with regards to that. In December 2012, North Amer- in North America, Xbox 360 sold 1.4 million units. Yeah, it's down 17% from last year, but it's still the number one selling console for the period. Of course, the Wii sold 475,000 units and um, this past December. That's a, a 55% drop from 2011, but... That's to be expected because you had a brand new console coming out that was backwards compatible with Wii hardware already. That one thing that they didn't get, they didn't release were PlayStation 3 numbers. The DS and the 3DS also, their numbers fell. The 3DS sold 1.2 million units in December. That's a 21% drop. The DS sold 479,000 units. That's a 25% drop. The Wii U, get this. 460,000 units in December. 
It's 24% less than the original Wii in 2006 when it was released. But Nintendo did boast that the Wii U made 30 million more in the Wii than the Wii in its first December sales month. But again, one of the reasons why that is, is because in 2006, the Wii was released at 249. The Wii U's basic model is 300, and the popular deluxe model is 350. So of course you're going to make $30 million more. For you to, to, to tout that, like it's groundbreaking or fucking amazing, is, a, is an insult to everybody. Oh, we made $30 million more. Yeah, but the system is $50 more. And if you get the deluxe package, it's $100 more. That's like saying that Titanic is number one, but, you know, Transformers Dark of the Moon surpassed it. Of course it's going to surpass it. One, box office numbers and ticket prices changed. Not only that, but it IMAX and 3D are brand new factors in the equation. So for Nintendo to say that, I understand that they got to try and put a positive spin on it, but again... The cost of the hardware was higher this time around. And, and this applies to everything. The cost of hardware, the only time that I can say that those numbers are concerning are with Xbox 360 and the PS3 because their, their prices have dropped. But people are being more frugal with their money. They really are. But I do I do have to say that the, the trend hopefully is going to improve with obviously the economy improving and just uh, uh, more accessible titles online that are going to make, excuse me, that are going to make people part with their money a little easier. It's easier for you to, to buy a game on Xbox Live for 10 or $15. And if it's not that good, you don't feel so bad versus dropping 60 bucks, which even in the grand scheme of things, when you resell the game, you're still going to take somewhat of a loss and possibly make half back for a game you may not have even enjoyed. Strange times, ladies and gentlemen. This also, of course, is even more concerning when we have the potential of two consoles being announced within the next two years. And pricing is going to be crucial. Not only that, but software is going to be just as crucial. But we'll see how it pans out. Like I said last in last week's show, Microsoft has a countdown for E3. So maybe we'll see what they're going to bring to the table with a brand new Xbox. And of course, Sony... Sony can can drop news at, at, at a moment's notice. So uh, from what I've been hearing, though, we're not going to hear a, a new Sony console announcement till at least 2014. So at least in that case, people can rest a little easy. All right, that's going to wrap up the gaming news for this week. We're going to speed on through into this week's uh, entertainment news because there's quite a few things that need to be discussed. So let's get the ball rolling. First up, we got to talk about Wreck-It Ralph, which I fucking am super upset with myself that I didn't get to see in theaters. Anyway, Wreck-It Ralph is set to hit the stores March 5th in Blu-ray and DVD, but get what, guess, guess what they're going to do, which is super unexpected. You can pick it up in HD digital or digital 3D on February 12th. The way they're going to do it is you're going to be able to 
watch the the digital copy and um you know a month in advance but the crazy thing with that is that to buy the physical copy it's a month later so I, to a degree i see this being more so of a pilot program maybe they want to test out uh digital accessibility for this before releasing it to the mainstream audience so i'm sure this will probably be a cable company exclusive Maybe you'll be able to pick it up on Fios a month or two early because I've seen that done with previous movies, but I really didn't expect a company like Disney to jump on board with that. But seems that's going to be the case. So if you want to watch Wreck-It Ralph before you own it on Blu-ray or DVD, keep an eye out. February 12th is your target date. Uh, a, a big news story that was making its way through various websites over the last couple of weeks involved... Um, uh, 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 excuse me. I think the uh, Monster Energy is wearing off. Anyway, uh, New York, the New York Asian Film Festival. One of one of the guys that worked for them, Daniel Kraft. He um he was dying. He had a uh, cancer, and his dying wish was to see Star Trek Into the Darkness before he passed away. And um, he did. He actually got to see the movie, and shortly after, he did die. Uh, it was. It's very sad. To see that, obviously, you know, not not because of obvious personal reasons, but to, to a guy's dying wish gets granted by by a filmmaker is it's huge, and it's the stuff like like you've seen it for for fanboys, which was a story told with um, a guy who who wanted to see a Star Wars movie before he died. We but but it's just a feel good story because Hollywood came through and they did the right thing. He got to see the movie and. Um, you know, it's sad. I, you know, on behalf of myself and MTR, definitely condolences to Mr. Kraft's family, but definitely a class act on J.J. Abrams' part to do that and make sure that he got to see it. So that was pretty fucking cool. In some comic movie news, The Dark Knight Returns Part 2 is available for digital download. You can actually find it on Amazon Instant Video. It's going to be hitting Blu-ray and DVD on January 29th, and if you've seen Part 1 of it, I recommend you check it out. Part one was amazing and they did a great job with it. You know, slick reviewed it on the site. I'm sure he's going to review part two and, um, I have Amazon instant video, so I'm sure maybe I'll get with slick this weekend. Um, since we have to exchange Christmas gifts, maybe we'll, uh, we'll order it on Amazon instant video and check it out. We'll see how that goes. Cause I have Amazon prime. Nonetheless, if you want to check it out and you have Amazon prime, you'll be able to, Get your hands on it early. Otherwise, you got to wait till January 29th. Leatherface dethroned Bilbo Baggins at the box office. Le- uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre 3D was number one at the box office this past weekend, earning $23 million, followed by Django Unchained at $20 million. The Hobbit made 17 Les Miserables made 16 at number four. Parental Guidance was number five. Jack Reacher was number six. This is 40 was number seven. Lincoln was eight. The guilt trip was nine and promised land was 10. So there you have it. Um, the Texas chainsaw massacre from what I've heard is shit, but I have a soft spot for those movies. Am I going to go and drop 12, 12 bucks at the box office? No. Do I want to see it? Yeah. Just to see if it's as bad as people say, seriously. We do have some what the fuck entertainment news this week. I, I there's a movie it's it's complete garbage, but I have such a soft spot for it and that is The Human Centipede. 
If you guys have seen The Human Centipede, uh, you know that the mad doctor in that film, Dieter Laser, was supposed to be appearing in Human Centipede 3. Uh, it turns out he ended up having a legal dispute with director Tom Six, and he, you know, they, they, they were going to court, but it turns out that they finally resolved their differences, and we will be seeing Dieter Laser playing a brand new character in Human Centipede 3. Tom Six says that the film will have the creation of a 500-person human centipede this time around. How they're going to do that, I don't know. The only thing I got to say is there's going to be a lot of ass-to-mouth, that's for sure. But, I'll tell you, the second Human Centipede movie was completely weird. A little creepy, a little freakish, but it definitely wasn't on the same level as the first Human Centipede. And I think that was because Dieter Laser was super creepy as um joseph Hyder in the first one and to see him in in the third it's going to be very interesting and from what they're saying the film is going to begin production in may and they're supposedly going to get a a big american celebrity attached to star i say that the head of the centipede should be kim kardashian but she is pregnant so i'm not i'm not i'm not gonna go that that terrible into it but you know why not they're they're always looking for a payday she should be the the beginning Maybe throw the her big brontosaurus sister right after, and maybe Bruce Jenner, because he'll stay surprised the entire time while he's sewn up to somebody's ass. Just super shocked Bruce Jenner in in, in a human centipede film. Fuck it, why not? I'd watch it. <laughs> in some comic news, we got some casting news for Sin City, a Dame to Kill for. Uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt is joining the cast. He's going to play a character named Johnny. Also joining the cast, Christopher Maloney, and of course, returning cast members, Mickey Rourke, Jessica Alba, Rosario Dawson, Jamie King, Jamie Chung, uh, Dennis Haysbert, he'll be taking over for the character of Minute, that was played by the late uh, Michael Clark Duncan. Also joining the cast is going to be Josh Brolin, he's actually going to be playing Dwight, which was a character Clive Owen played in the original film. Now, you're probably saying to yourself, why, they couldn't get Clive Owen to play Dwight in the in this film not the case what they're doing is if you watch Sin City you know that Dwight had plastic surgery to get a new face so to do a dame to kill for you get to see Dwight before he got the plastic surgery because it's a, a dame to kill for takes place before Sin City so the way that they're doing it is you know Dwight's being hunted down by Ava Lord and um you know he's a constant character so it's good to see Josh Brolin be involved. He's a solid actor. And like I said, joining such great actors like Joseph Gordon-Levitt, Christopher Maloney, I think A Dame to Kill For is going to have that same um, that, that that same delivery that Sin City had. Sin City's probably uh, in my top 10 favorite comic book films. It was, it was super enjoyable just because I read the books. I really enjoyed it. And I think that Mickey Rourke as Marv was just amazing from start to finish. On the DC Comics side of things, Guillermo del Toro says that they will be doing a supernatural DC Comics team-up movie titled Dark Universe. It's going to include Swamp Thing, The Demon, John Constantine, Dead Man, The Spectre, Zatara, and Zatanna. Uh, del Toro actually told IGN that he is working on it. I'm writing an outline, and I'm already in talks with a writer. So it's going to be interesting to see him kind of do something with the darker side of the DC Universe. I think there's a lot of great characters there, and their stories definitely should be told. I mean, I, lo- I love Swamp Thing. Even the old 
terribly campy Swamp Thing movies I always enjoyed. I think Constantine with uh, Keanu Reeves wasn't super terrible. So, again, that's a character that you could do a lot with. Same thing with the Demon and Zatanna. Dead Man and the Spectre are are iffy. I, I like the Spectre just because when he's written correctly, you can utilize him well. And I, I think Del Toro, given his knack for making weird effects-driven movies, he's going to do very well with this. I'm really looking forward to it. Michael Bay dropped some news on his website regarding Transformers 4. He announced the casting of Jack Rayner, who's going to be starring alongside Mark, Wa- Mark Wahlberg in the fourth film. He did go on to say the following regarding the Transformers sequel, which is this. Transformers 4 is not a reboot. That word has been floating around on the net. This movie takes place exactly four years after the war in Chicago. The war makes the, the story makes a very natural transition and reason as to why we have a whole new cast. This Transformers will feel very different than the last three. We are embarking on a new trilogy, a.k.a. we are embarking on a huge fucking payday. So there you have it, folks. Brand new uh, casting addition to Transformers and a brand new trilogy in the works. Last but not least, got to close things out with a story I shared on the fan page. 3D version of Jurassic Park, which is being released April 5th, is going to be getting a one-week IMAX 3D run. Uh, The reason it's only getting a one-week run is because Universal's Oblivion with Tom Cruise is going to open a week later in the same format on April 12th. So if you're a Jurassic Park fan, I definitely recommend getting in there that first week to check it out. Honestly, I'd like to see it in IMAX 3D. I think the special effects, if they're done right and the post-production is done well, are going to look amazing in IMAX, especially any scenes with the T-Rex are going to look insane. So if you're a Jurassic Park fan, be on the lookout April 5th. And um, definitely, if it's done right, I will probably put a review up for it. If not myself, then I'm sure a member of the MTR team will do that. All right. With that, that wraps up the entertainment news for this week, and it brings us to the end of this week's show. All right, time to get out of here. You've just heard My Take Radio episode 168 for Thursday, January 10th, 2013. If you have any questions, concerns, or would like to be a guest on a future episode of MTR or any of our app-exclusive programming, you can email me at mtrhost at mytakeradio.com. We are looking for writers, so if you're interested in writing for MTR, you can email me at mtrhost at mytakeradio.com. Please include a writing sample, and if possible, if you've written for other sites, uh, please list those as well, and we will get back to you with regards to that. You can also hit up our feedback line, 347-815-0687. That's 347-815-0MTR. Last but not least, social media. We are all over the place. You can follow us on Twitter, at MyTakeRadio. You can also go on the staff page and see the MTR Twitter accounts for all our staff. Um, MTR Slick, at Andrea underscore MTR, Quark MTR, John U. Butler, Blackout89, and I think Jay Santi has a Twitter as well. If I get it, I will also post it in his bio. Last but not least, of course, you can find us on Facebook. Become a fan there. Ask us questions on Formspring. I do answer them on occasion. Add us to your circle on Google+. And, of course, get all of the MTR shows plus all the exclusive content with the MTR app. It's $1.99 for Android. 
on the Amazon Marketplace and for iOS on iTunes. And if you want to listen to MTR, you can also use Stitcher, Blog Talk Radio, iTunes, and the Zune Marketplace. We ask if you are getting the show from iTunes, please take a moment and review the show. We would really, really appreciate it. Lastly, if you are using it with Stitcher, enter my enter my take in the promo code, and you may win a $100 gift card courtesy of Stitcher and MTR. All right, guys, I'm out of here. The monster energy is wearing off, and it's time to get some sleep. See you guys next week. Thanks for listening. Peace. Taking us out this week, our friends at the Maniac Agenda with their song The Awakening from Halo 4 and their interpretation of it. You can find them on Facebook, facebook.com, The Maniac Agenda. You can also go to maniacmusic.net. And if you're on SoundCloud, look for The Maniac Agenda altogether. One word, The Maniac Agenda, A-G-E-N-D-A, all together. And you can pick up some of those tracks there. See you guys next week.